welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast here. Uh, we are going to be draft heavy today and next week and probably the week after that because the NFL draft is less than two weeks away. And we open up this week's podcast with uh, one of the best in the business as far as I'm concerned, the great Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Uh, very busy week last week uh, with the J- Jadavian Clowney signing here, so we're happy to have you on. We'll, have you, uh, be, we'll be talking offensive and defensive players here throughout the podcast. We'll start with offensive players here first. But first, Jeff, how are you doing how has uh, the draft buildup been so far for you? Uh, I think, and I could probably say, speak for everybody, I, I think we're to the point now where it's, oh, God, can, can we just, can somebody just throw him up there at a podium and can we just get going already? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing new you know, to this point. I mean, now we're to the point where we're you know, looking at second pro days of, of quarterbacks. And it's just like, all right, folks, I, I think we've gotten all we can get and you know, it's kind of like the longest, uh, you know, holding out in poker as to, you know what, I called you, are you in or are you not? Mm-hmm. Um, for as far as the 2021 NFL draft is concerned, yes, the call is in. Let's go, folks. Are you in or you out? Yes, indeed. And, uh, I mean, certainly, like I said, we're going to start with offensive players here. We're going to go to defensive here. And we know that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three. We know that, that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a Jaguar. We know that Zach Wilson's going to be a New York Jet. And then the 49ers get on the clock, and there's a number of different ways that they can go here. So over the last few uh, weeks, and I believe you know, as we're recording this right now, I think it, you know, Trey Lance has not had his second pro day yet, or did it? I think it's had tomorrow. it today. Had yeah, it today. Okay, had it today. Um, so with that being said, and you know, Justin Fields has had a couple of pro days, and of course the, the 49ers, it seems like they're infatuated with, uh, with Mac Jones. Where do we again? I know that you have said that you think Justin Fields is the second best quarterback here in this class, but where are we kind of in the mix here with San Francisco at three and trying to decide who is truly the you know three, four, and five in terms of the quarterback rankings? I think San Francisco made this move to three knowing full well they were not going to get Trevor Lawrence and knowing full well they were not going to get Zach Wilson. But what they said is, we need a quarterback, we need our quarterback of the future. So they traded to three, and I don't think when they traded to three, it was with any one quarterback in mind. That's probably why the deal went down as early as it did. This is similar to um, 2018 when the Jets traded up, uh, knowing that you know uh, the Browns were going to take, you know most likely whatever quarterback top at mm-hmm. first, the Giants were going to take Squan Barkley, and it put the uh, the Jets at the time in the position, ironically enough, because here you are three later, three years later, of saying, "All right, well, we're going to have our choice of four quarterbacks. We'll make our peace with that. We'll make this deal now." I, the Mac Jones look, and we've we've gone over this, and you know, looking at the Shanahan offense, where you're going to want to roll your quarterbacks out a lot, and I just don't see how you can look at Justin Fields. I just don't see how you can look at Trey Lance, and how you can put Mac Jones in that same criteria that same grouping that's going to fit what they want to do in san francisco it's going to be just and you're going to look at it one of two ways is san francisco all the way out on jimmy garoppolo do they think he can do anything for them if they think jimmy garoppolo can do anything for them in the 2021 season then they'll draft trey lance if they think jimmy garoppolo has done all he can do for that franchise it's going to be Justin Fields. Justin Fields is just more ready. It's not a lock, knock on Trey Lance. He hasn't played the competition that Justin Fields has. Hasn't he played the number of games that Fields has. He only played one game last year. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're the 49ers, it's Fields or it's Lance. I mean, Mac Jones's camp can spin whatever they want to spin. And I will tell you right now, they've been the camp of, of the draft cycle so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give a round of applause to them because they found a way to make this guy jump, you know, all over the place and keep jumping up, keep getting associated with these names. I just don't see it. He's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. San Francisco is looking for a great athletic Piece. So when they start running these bootlegs, running with all these crossing routes, it's going to give you an option of are you going to focus on the coverage and get killed by the run, or are you going to start running up to take away the run from the quarterback and then get killed with the arm? It's going to be one of these two. There's no way in my – I'd be stunned if it was not Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And I think it all comes down to the, their belief of is if Jimmy Garoppolo can give them anything this year. Boy, and you're right about the Mac Jones camp because his – the, the meteoric rise in his draft stock is is really staggering here. Um, so if they let's say the 49ers go with Fields here and again, we'll, we'll do a mock draft next week and stuff and see where he kind of falls. But where do you think Mac Jones? How far do you think he would fall? So you're kind of putting him at five at best, right? Mac Jones? No, like like Mac oh, Jones is the oh, fifth, fifth, fifth best, quarterback? Fifth best sure. quarterback. But then how far? Uh, could he yeah, sit? I mean fifth best quarterback, but I would say top four. And then, you know, quite a ways away. Um, could you see, you know, possibly Washington having interest? Um, certainly. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, what uh, Riverboat Ron does, and obviously, you know, his days in Carolina, a lot of it was the run. Yep. Uh, the run, the defense, having a decent quarterback, is there a spot there? Would the Bears have interest? I, I just I just don't see enough. I, do I think he's going to go in round one? I think he's going to go in round one. I think the question is just, Finding him the correct home, I, I just I, I don't think he's truly ready yet. He's not a guy who's going to play right away, so that certainly hurts him. Um, and he's not the athlete that Trey Lance is, where you can say that's fine. We'll take him. We'll develop him. We'll wait. Understanding that we're going to have to wait a little bit. I, I just don't see you know what Mac Jones is going to you know develop into you know by taking him high with the understanding of maybe sitting him you know i mean anything he should have learned he should know by now coming from the university of alabama Mm -hmm. i don't know somewhere in the 20s washington chicago 1920 maybe a team trading back up in the round one for that ever elusive fifth year option uh once mac jones if, if we start getting you know outside once we start getting outside of the top five uh you know it could be it could be quite a while before Mac Jones in his camp expects to hear his name called. So that second tier of quarterbacks then uh, includes Kyle Trask, uh, Kellen Mond, and Davis Mills has gotten his name in there, the quarterback from uh, Stanford. Uh, how far or how high? Trask I've seen has a wide range here. Either he could po- potentially be a late first round pick, but he could be fall to the third round to maybe even early fourth. He's probably the next quarterback taken, right, Kyle Trask? For me, no. Um, look, if you're taking a quarterback and you're understanding he's not going to be your day one starter, you're looking for upside. Kyle Trask, his arm strength, it, it just isn't there. Um, it is not NFL ready. So now you're t- looking specific scenarios where you can put this guy, where you can try to avoid the weather. You know, places like Houston, divisions like the AFC South, divisions like the NFC South. Um, you, you know, for him, I just Trask is. I just don't think the arm strength is there. Uh, Davis Mills, you love the accuracy. Um, I believe somebody splew, uh, spit out a Drew Brees comparison the yep. other day. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, which says, hey, very accurate, but we understand he doesn't really throw the 95-mile-an-hour fastball. 
But if you're drafting, and you know, maybe it's because I've been talking to you, but I think more and more to Kellen Mond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're talking about he's got the build. You know, six foot three, two twenty. Um, you know, he played under a system that has developed quarterbacks uh, for Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you know, it took a while for it all kind of to come together, but it certainly did this past year. Showed well at the Senior Bowl, all intents and purposes. Anyone who speaks about him speaks that he's a great kid. Uh, there is a little bit of athleticism to him. Um, and again, none of these guys are going anywhere as the number one quarterback. So you're going to start looking for traits that are going to translate as a backup quarterback. Mond with the big arm, with, you know, some athletic ability, able to extend plays, able to, you know, pick up some yards to move the chains. If I'm looking for a top backup quarterback, for me, it's going to be a player like Kellen Mond. And then if you go down further in the draft, like where do we – do we see – Pretty much all of the good quarterbacks, uh, like the Davis Mills and the Kyle Trasks, and even you know like Ian Book and and Jamie Newman, are we going to get the run on those guys by? The, they'll be gone by the end of round five, or do you think some of these guys could fall further in the draft? I think day three will be their calling card. There could be a possibility of round six, round seven. Again, with some of these guys, you don't have much really to go off right now. Uh, you know, you look at here like Jamie Newman, and next to his name it says Georgia. Never took a snap from the University of Georgia, so I mean, you know, that obviously is gonna, you know, gives you a little chuckle. Obviously, the two kids that were with Texas, Sam Ellinger, Shane Bouchelle. I think I like Shane Bouchelle a little bit better, um, but you do wonder what happened to Texas. That Texas ultimately ended up choosing Ellinger over Shane Bouchelle. Um, you know, KJ Costello obviously got to Mississippi State. That didn't really go the way he was hoping to getting into that office. Ian Book, I, I think I like Ian Book. But he would be a backup that you'd pray maybe only had a start maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. I think he's able to throw the jump ball. I think he's able to hit tight ends. I think he runs pretty well. Um, but, you know, after you – know, it would be funny because this is going to be regarded as a very, very good quarterback class for a long time. But mm-hmm. when you have a player like Lawrence and his ilk, you have the electricity of Zach Wilson in his arm, two incredible athletes with gifted arms and fields and lands. They're going to say it's a good class quarterback-wise. But it, it really kind of rolls down a hill after you get past those top four. It's going to make this class top-heavy, not necessarily overall a great class. Gotcha. Um, then if let's move on to the running back spot here. Uh, just how deep is this running back class? Because there are a number of very good backs. We've talked about the, you know, like Michael Carter at uh, at North Carolina before. Uh, Trey Sermon was a power back at uh, Oklahoma State. He was great and then had a good year at Ohio State. Of course, Travis Etienne from Clemson, Najee Harris, Alabama. Uh, I mean, those guys are the, are the cream of the crop, but you look further down and you get some of these guys like Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, a Jarrett Patterson at Buffalo, uh, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. It's like, wow, this is a pretty deep class of running backs by my estimation. What do you think of that? No, I do believe. I Again, now I think this is a class where it's maybe not going to be as top-heavy Mm-hmm. necessarily and it's weird to say that with players like Najee Harris and with Travis Etienne as you know as deep and long as their careers ran uh you know in the NCAA but both solid players and you know I know there's a lot of talk about you know Pittsburgh maybe taking a running back in the first round maybe the Jets at 23 with their second first round pick I'm not sure if we have a running back in this class that I would say oh yeah that's one that's got to go in the first round we'll see this is I mean for this is going to be the most difficult year Ever, because again, we're talking about players who didn't play. Mm-hmm. We're talking about players that we don't really have legitimate combine numbers on. Uh, pro days, who knows how you can really going to be able to take those. Uh, but you know, Harris, fantastic player. Etienne, fantastic player. Should be the top two running backs in this class. 
you get to the North Carolina kids, you have a nice mix in Michael Carter, who's a receiver, got a lot of wiggle. Uh, Javante Williams, a little bit more, kind of like Najee Howard, Harris, you know, a guy you can give the ball to 25, 28 times a game in the running game. Physical, will run through you, can go over you, has enough wiggle, he can go around you. Um, you brought up one of my favorite names in this class, and Khalil Herbert. I love the fact that, you know, one thing that I like is that he's barely played. Uh, his years at Kansas, he didn't do much at all. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, maybe necessarily him. I mean, obviously Kansas has never been a good program, but you had Puka Williams all those years. But mm-hmm. Khalil Herbert, I think he's, he's just able to put his foot in the ground. He's able to change direction. The thing I notice most when I watch Khalil Herbert is when he does change the direction, it doesn't look like he's losing any speed, which is huge and key when you're running these wide zone offenses that people like and you're counting on the running back to find the cutback late not lose any momentum. Khalil Herbert fits that. And the fact that he is five foot nine probably helps him and aids him in that respect. Uh, Trey Sermon, I think certainly it, went, it wasn't going very well for Trey Sermon. And then all of a sudden he hit that late season, you know, momentum. And obviously, you know, what he did in the first round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, he will, you know, again, physical back, uh, very, very smart and toolsy. Um, he had, uh, uh, he was almost down to the ground, was able to, you know, put his hand down, in uh, the one playoff game, pick himself up eight extra yards, which just shows somebody who's you know using his head, using his noggin to do everything. Um, a guy who was really, really interesting as far as the receiving running back combo, Demetri Felton out of UCLA. Uh, but I mean, he he tested terribly. Um, you know, the the speed is okay, but there's no burst whatsoever with a player like that. Uh, Jared Patterson certainly interesting with what he was able to do at Buffalo. Uh, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, uh, if he had come out for the 20 draft, he probably would have went a lot higher than he's going to go in the 2021 draft. I just, you know, he tested well to kind of save some of it, but it just, it just didn't seem like he popped this year. And maybe it's again, it's, it's hard to get inside these kids' heads when you were, you know, may, maybe mentally ready to go. And then you felt like the season was shut down and then he tried to relight the lamp, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to happen, happen for everybody. And then there is from Iowa state, uh, Kenenway, I'm, I'm still working on this one. Iwangu. Um, <laughs> yes. He's got everything you need. Six foot one, two tens, runs in the four three. He's got experience returning kicks. Wasn't used a whole lot at Iowa State, but all the athletic measurables are there. The tape that he has is pretty good. You're willing to take a gamble on an upper, you know, an uh, upper echelon athlete on day three. Understand he's going to need some polish. Maybe he's going to have to play some special teams early on in his career. But he is certainly, certainly an interesting player. Either any of the names that you've already mentioned or maybe one that hasn't been mentioned, What, what, who is a running back that, let's say, could could fall to a like the fourth or fifth round or even later, but have the, like a higher grade, like closer to a second or third round grade? Like are, are a lot of these running backs kind of bunched in the same uh, same class or same grade where it you might have someone that's got some superior talent fall to you a little bit does that make sense elijah, uh, elijah mitchell from louisiana 511 218 so he's kind of right in line with the top backs in this class uh he's got the breakaway speed uh, i'm sure some of what's being held against them is obviously he went to louisiana uh he would be an interesting one as well on day three he's got more of a resume uh, might be a guy from iowa state um, certainly a name to watch here. Uh, you know, most most uh, most boards, he's going to be outside of your top ten, probably closer to fifteen than he would be to ten. But he is certainly somebody that most likely uh, will be able to pl- uh, outplay his drafted position. 
Let's move to the wide receiver class now. And uh, grade, the, grade how deep this class is. Is it as deep as the one what, last year or a couple years ago? How 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 deep would you say this wide receiver class is? Because I think it, I mean the some of these names are just fantastic. Well, let me see. Just to put it simply, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, uh, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Terrace Mitchell. I think we're at what seven, eight names right yep. there. Yep. All conceivably can go in the first round. Every single one of them conceivably can go in the first round. Just this is an incredible class, um, and it's got probably. And the thing is, is you're seeing such a difference now. Where in college, there, you know, it used to be taboo to put you in the slot in college. Mm-hmm. Now they're starting to say, "Wait a minute! If you can win here, what does it matter? I'll put you wherever I need to on any given. You know, it makes the defense change, it makes the coverage change, it makes the calls change, and now they're starting to work a lot more." Uh, in college football on developing guys in the slot. So you have all of these guys who have experience there, um, and it's just a special group. you got a player like, you know, um, I mean, look, Chase, Wild, Devontae Smith, everybody knows what they can do. Mm-hmm. Rondell Moore, uh, you know, runs it in the four, high four twos, has experience physically running with the ball, special, special talent. Haven't even mentioned Kadarius Tony. I just, maybe there's a floor or two in his game that I just don't think, and I don't think he plays as fast as at times as he times. Um, Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, I think is probably one of the smoothest in this class. Mm-hmm. I love the way he maneuvers, you know, horizontally on the field, able to find an open passing lane for his quarterback. Very special player. Uh, obviously, Terrace Marshall with the benefit of, you know, Jamar Chase sitting out this year, mm-hmm. one vertically and one a lot. Teelan Wallace out of Oklahoma State had a fantastic, fantastic draft cycle. Catches all the difficult throws. And, of course, you know what people say when you don't catch the difficult throws. Is, Why aren't you getting more separation? But, look, yeah, you can catch the uh, contested balls. That's going to show up, and that's going to play out on Sundays. You know, Dwayne Eskridge is a nice player. Mm-hmm. Kind of new to the position. Blocks well. A little bit older. He's going to be a guy you're going to have to get in. He's going to have to play some special teams. He's going to have to earn his keep. But another special talent in him i mean we can go even a little bit deeper here Tamar on terry out of florida state's probably going to end up going in the seventh round two years ago he was one of the best wide receivers in the acc as florida state as the program went down so did a lot of their prospects in this class there's anthony schwartz out of auburn who runs a 427 but yet we can't even find the time to talk about his teammate who was the more productive receiver while at auburn and seth williams it's, it's an incredible, incredible group, Nathan. And we joke about this almost every year. Mm-hmm. They could just say, we'll do six rounds, and then we'll just do a, a wide receiver round, and we'll find <laughs> some way to work out the draft order. Yep. This is a crazy, crazy deep group. And it's I, I can't even, you know, I mean, I didn't even mention either of the two players from North Carolina. So, I mean, it's just, it's an incredible, an incredible group. And if you're a team, and this may be a case where, look, I don't know, we don't need one right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cleveland Browns are kind of in that spot, but they have four players who could not, who may not be under contract for 2022. So, are you going to say to yourself, "Well, let's get on this one year early, mm-hmm. get a guy in here, see if he gets acclimated with the system, and hopefully can make some of the decisions we got to make?" You know, after this season, you know, going further easier. Again, Amari Rogers, Amon, Amon St. Brown. These are good names we haven't even mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, for some teams, you know what? I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. You guys, go ahead and get that wide receiver now. When I come back, let me know who we picked. Well, I do have a few more specific uh, questions on some specific wide receivers here. Um, 
let's and you you brought up Rashad Bateman, of course, being in Minnesota, know what he's done. Uh, he paired very well with Tyler Johnson. We saw Tyler Johnson go to yes, Tampa Bay last year. Uh, and and Bateman didn't play a lot this year, even when the Big Ten came back. Does that help him? Does it hurt him? What did you see when he wasn't with Tyler Johnson that makes you think like he, that he's still going to be able to flourish in the NFL? Uh, I loved Tyler Johnson for his time and how he still got drafted where he did is still a mystery to me. I felt at the time Rashad Bateman was the better receiver. I still feel that way now. Okay. Um, one thing that people don't seem to want to mention or bring up so much is Rashad Bateman had a, a very, very serious bout of COVID. So he was one of the few players who did play in the fall who actually mm-hmm. did have COVID. Uh, you know, and he admitted it. You know, he kind of had like a hangover. There was something kind of holding him back. And once you know he got better, then we started testing. See a pro day where everything looks smooth and the explosion looked back. Rashard Bateman's a special, special talent, and I'd be stunned if he gets if if he makes it past thirty. I'd be absolutely astonished. He's pro ready. <laughs> Devonte Smith, you're just going to hear he's probably him and Jamar Chase, the best wide receivers in this draft class. But people are or teams are going to look at the weight, 170, and they're going to be concerned. Is he going to get injured a little easier than someone else? What are your concerns with Devonte Smith and his weight, or are there no concerns? Because I wouldn't have a concern. He's such a dynamic player. Well, I mean, the, the one thing is, is look, if he was coming from you know outside. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, I'm sorry, if he was coming out, you know, if he wasn't coming out of the SEC, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's some questions. Um, but you know, everybody's going to go against in the NFL. He's most likely gone against in the you know in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the NFL is very SEC dominant. Um, would you like him heavier? Of course, there's no question about it. But you know, uh, the question is, is he able to add more weight? Look, some frames are just maxed out. That's what it is, just just the way it works. There's nothing he can do about it. He's got long arms. He catches everything. Um, you know, we're, we're in such an era in the NFL where you kind of usually get schemed open anyway. Things you're going to worry about, you're going to worry about blocking. Things you're going to worry about, bigger cornerbacks in press coverage. He's going to have to work. He's going to have to put in some work on that, obviously. He's not going to dust guys off the line like he did in college. But the weight at the end of the day, look, I mean, he succeeded at Alabama. Mm-hmm. He was a tremendous player. Um, if you want to take Jamar Chase because he's the better physical body, um, but also now you got to keep in mind that he didn't play in 20. So, I mean, there's there's things here that you're worried about a little bit with all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Devontae Smith, you know, should he still go top 12? I, I see reason, no reasons why he should not go top 12. Final couple of guys that I want to get your thoughts on. I really like Jalen Darden from North Texas. I think he's great. And then I have to ask about uh, my boy Cade Johnson from South Dakota State. Uh, it seems like he could go fairly high, maybe not quite as high as a second round uh, where Dallas Goddard went a few years back. But what are your thoughts on each of those guys? Well, I think for both of them, this is the wrong class to be in. I mean, it's there's just nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, when you're the smaller guy, you know, a smaller school guy, and you're in a group like this, you're in a very, very difficult spot. Gordon, I think, is a fun player out of the slot. I think he's aggressive. I think he's got the attitude you're looking for. But he's going to walk into a position where, you know, he's not going to be relied upon much year one. So, you know, obviously, put your nose to the ground. You know, keep working the hard, you know, the hard, as hard as you possibly can. 
You're going to be playing with talent you have never seen before. Don't get lost in the moment. Understand you're there for a reason. Work every day, maybe in the second part. I mean, second half of the season, there becomes more of a role for you. Or, you know, maybe you've got one year almost of an internship to get yourself ready to show something. Fun player. You can't ignore what he did at North Texas. There's no way around it. And Kay Johnson, I think Kay Johnson helped himself with a nice senior bowl week. Obviously, so many big names were not down there. Um, was able to catch the ball deep. Um, you know, he could probably use a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit more muscle mass on his body. But again, somebody that's going to be in a tough position where they're going to go day three. You're going to go into a team that maybe already has four wide receivers on the roster. And you got to do a little bit. You got to block. You got to have to play some specials. You're going to have to get your nose dirty and basically, you know, pay your dues till something, you know, an opportunity arises, open up, opens up either through injury or through roster transitions in an offseason. Moving to the tight end class now, this is pretty much the Kyle Pitts class because uh, it's Kyle Pitts and then everyone else, right? Is there anyone? No, obviously, no one's really even close to Pitts. But this reminds me of the early days of Michael Jordan and the Jordan Airs. This is Kyle Pitts and the Kyle Pitts Airs. <laughs> I mean, wide receiver skills in a tight end frame. I mean, that's pretty much what he is. Uh, do we? Th- I mean. He's going to probably go either four or five, whether Dallas trades up and gets him, maybe Atlanta or uh, Cincinnati might take him or Miami. He's going to go very quickly here, and he's way better than Eric Ebron was when he got drafted in the top Mm -hmm. ten by the Lions a few years back. So with that being said, if you have any other thoughts on Kyle Pitts, because we've talked about him a bunch and we know just how special of a player he is. He's the second best player in this draft. There's no way around it. He is the second best player in this draft. Everybody in the stadium, week in, week out, knew Kyle Strauss wanted to throw the ball to Kyle Pitts. Nobody could do anything about it. No, I mean, you know, they, they tried double coverage, didn't work. Uh, you know, they tried, you know, zone, didn't work. Uh, you know, they tried some, you know, putting a corner on him, putting a safety on him, putting a linebacker. Nothing works. He's, I don't want to say this because I don't want to put that much on him, but he understands the position and how to find the open spots so similar to what Travis Kelsey does. And there's so many times where you look and you watch the film, and you're like, well, how the hell did he get that wide open? Mm-hmm. It's because he's not only is he that much better of an athlete, he's that much smarter and that astute at his position that he's one step ahead of those trying to cover him. Phenomenal, phenomenal player. The second best player in this class. <clears throat> if Atlanta, I mean, look, Atlanta, if you're going to go quarterback, I'll, I won't fault you because obviously it's the most important position in the game, mm-hmm. but if I'm Atlanta, I think I got Matt Ryan. I, if I even think Matt Ryan has one year left, look, Drew Brees is gone. You have no idea how Tampa's going to work year two. Carolina's not there yet. If I'm Atlanta, I'm saying, why not? I mean, I got Julio. I got Ridley. Yeah, make make the move. I mean, look, if you can't stop anybody on defense, best you can do is maybe try to put up 30 a week on offense. If you were Cincinnati, would you take Pitts? I know you know Joe Burrow could probably put in a good word for with with Chase there, or is protecting Burrow and drafting Sewell from Oregon the top priority for them? Look, if they do not draft Penny Sewell, or look if Rashawn Slater's their their flavor, that's fine. If they do not take a tackle at five, uh, if I'm Joe Burrow, look, I, I don't care what my relationship is with Jamar Chase. There's a good chance I might only play six or seven games again. Mm-hmm. You cannot, and they, this is where they did it wrong last year. You cannot take this young man number one overall because they can't get anybody 
top shelf. They can get good players in free agency. They can't get the best of the best. Mm -hmm. This is the only way to do that for Joe Burrow. This is the only way. And here's the other thing is you're not probably going to be drafting top 10 anymore. So you're not going to be able to be in the position where we can say, oh, well, we'll just get the best offensive tackle in the class next year. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you're trending away from that. They brought some players in on defense. It'll be, you know, Burrow's second year. They would probably be drafting top 10 this year if he was able to finish the season anyway. If they do not get him an offensive tackle and somebody to take care of that offensive line, they have maybe what they have coming to them. And if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm suing for malpractice. <laughs> I mean, yes, absolutely. And you know what? I, I just have Look, to Look, I've got a, my team has to face him twice a year, and I'm telling you what the right thing to mm-hmm. do is. Yeah, you have to protect the franchise. And Sewell is one of the best offensive tackles that we've seen come out in a really long time. Uh, and, you know, Rashawn Slater is very good out of Northwestern. Uh, and then you also have some other good tackles there, but none, none like these two. And we'll get to the offensive tackles here in a moment. But just going back to the tight end class, like I said, it's Pitts is in a class of his own. Where's Where are these other tight ends falling here? Uh, what do you like about this tight end class overall or don't like? I don't well, – it depends. If you're talking day two – no, I mean, I, I think this is very similar to defensive tackle, which we'll get to at another time, mm-hmm. where there's one guy, and then it's going to be about 45, 50, 60 picks go by, and we don't see another one go. Um, you know, Fryermouth uh, from Penn State, obviously he blocks well. Uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami, he receives well, doesn't block very well. Hunter Long, in my opinion, I like him as a blocker. I don't see enough athleticism where he's going to be anything more than a number two tight end. Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame, now he's a little bit interesting. Because you can do a million things with it. If you're a team that deploys a fullback, you're good. You're set. You can use Tommy Treble to do that. Um, if you like to play two tight ends, Tommy Treble can do that. Um, I think he he has a chance to possibly be the second quote-unquote tight end taken off the board because you can do a few things with him. Um, and he can contribute a little bit in the receiving game. He's a tenacious blocker. He's going to be a guy you can put out on special teams. Uh, then you get to, you know, Kenny Yeboa, I kind of like. I think he's a decent red zone target. Trey McKitty out of Georgia is another guy I like. But, again, now we're talking probably mid to late day three for him. Uh, none of these guys really had the athletic traits, the production. Uh, the blocking was never really there for any of them. Uh, and then probably the, the deep, I mean, I wouldn't say deep sleeper. It depends on rankings. Uh, but out of Boise State, you know, John Bates I like. I think he brings a little bit of everything. But, you know, there's not enough that he's bringing right now that's going to warrant anything other than, you know, drafting him probably any earlier than the fifth round. Let's move to the offensive tackles here in the offensive line as uh, as we finish out the offensive uh, portion here. And if obviously we talked about Sewell and, and Slater, they're the they're the top two, they're the cream of the crop. Who's the third best tackle? Because there's a lot of different names that kind of get thrown out there. Christian Darisal from Virginia Tech. You have um, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Maybe there's an, uh, another guy or two in there. Who do you think is uh, the third best tackle in this class? For the third de- uh, third best, I'm going to go with Christian Darasaw. Uh, I just think he's that solid of a guy. Uh, the foot movement, you know, the size is elite. He's able to sink and anchor. Uh, not much gets past him. But like you said, it is a deep group. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State is just an absolute beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just the guy that gets his hands on you. And once he gets his hands on you, uh, as long as the play is you know going on, he's going to beat on you. If it's seven seconds, eight seconds, he's going to just unleash 
punishment on you. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama is a nice player, but I, I just don't know. I think long-term, he's a player that's going to end up at guard. Um, I think Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, there's some talent there. Uh, you know, some stuff needs to be you know, brought out. Um, then you, you know, you're talking about more guys, you know, that are eventually going to end up on the interior. Walker, Walker, uh, Walker Little from Stanford could turn out to be somebody you draft third round, and maybe as a starter for you right away. Like this was a guy that was very heavily talked about two years ago, and you know, I, everything that went on with the Pac-10, the Stanford players kind of got forgot about. And I do have a couple of players in this class. Walker Little, Walker Little's a fun player, and he's little by no means at almost six six three twenty five. He's a great player. I mean, if you're not going to get the top three, four offensive tackles in this class, of course, we haven't even mentioned Sam Cosme from Texas. Uh, great athlete, um, elite, elite height at six foot seven. Uh, you know, carries his 310 pounds well. Tough son of a gun. Your guy, uh, the other guy at North Dakota, uh, North Dakota State, Dylan, Dylan now. Yep. He's just fun. And I think the thing where he's going to come in is. He's going to make an offensive line room better. He's, you know, he's all about it. He's he's very into being an offensive lineman. You know, has zero issues. You know, like you know, the way the effort he can give for covered for somebody else as far as you know finding work when his assignment is finished. He's another fun one. It's a pretty 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 solid tackle class this year, and you're probably going to see it. I'd say maybe five, six go round one. Really? Well, you know what? A lot of teams need to protect their quarterbacks. I can think of a couple of teams. We mentioned the Bengals and maybe a team like the, the Vikings. Uh, well, of course, but then you also that. throw in the Steelers. You yes. also throw in the Baltimore Ravens. Yep. I mean, look, you can't have these franchise investments in quarterbacks and mm-hmm. not be worried about them. I mean, this is they go down, guess what? So does the season, and then so do jobs. You mentioned Dylan Reduns from North Dakota State. What about uh, another uh, tackle from that conference, the Missouri Valley, Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa? What do you think of him? The Northern Iowa class all around is fun. I, just interesting guy. Spencer Brown is just a monster, an absolute monster of a man. I mean, you're going to talk about somebody who's going to play right tackle. I don't think he's going to have the athleticism to play left. It'll be a big, big jump for him. Uh, not a year one starter. Um, you know, he's somebody I kind of have pegged, uh, you know, the Browns with Bill Callahan as the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a lot of needs. They have nine draft picks, though. So you're going to have to bring some players in. Is that something you say, okay, Bill, here you go, and we'll talk to you in a calendar year. Let us know where the young man's at. Um, and also you got to keep in mind that he's not only going to make the jump from Northern Iowa to the NFL, he's also going to make the jump from not playing football since 2019 to the NFL. So you're talking about shaking off rust, and you're talking about building up improvement as well. With this offensive tackle class, is it going to kind of be similar to either like wide receiver or running back where you're going to have some guys maybe with a, a high round grade but just fall just because of the depth of the class? Yeah, I mean, it's a deep group. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. And the other thing is, is when is the run going to start? If Cincinnati, and again, do the right thing, Cincinnati, <laughs> if they don't do it at five, then what happens? Now, what if they take Chase? And now all of a sudden you have Miami right behind them going, well, man, we thought we were going to get Jamar Chase. We wanted one more toy for Tua. Now they go. you know, Now them as well. They take yet another wide receiver. Now you have teams start creeping back up saying, oh, well, is Lancer Fields available? And you know that's when things can get weird. And you know if these tackles start dropping and say you don't get a Sewell or a Slater to go maybe as early as eight to Carolina – 
then it's a little tougher because now you're only talking, you know what, 23, 24 spots to maybe get six, six, seven offensive tackles in that first round. A lot of it's going to depend on A, Atlanta, and B, Cincinnati, what they do at four and five. That's when the draft really begins, right? Because we know the first three are quarterbacks. And then finally in the interior, the centers and the guards, what do you make of the, this class? How it, I mean, how deep is the class on for, for both of these positions? I think on the inside, you're pretty good. I mean, you're talking Trey Smith out of Tennessee. He's always been a solid player, but he ever went back for a fourth year for it. That's school, which is just terrible at this point. I have no idea. Creed Humphrey is probably maybe the most fun guy in this class. There's just no way around it. Um, he just loves every second of being a football player. Um, so, obviously, you know, a player like him you're looking at. Um, of course, um, you know, Alvin Max from the program, son, Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. He's going to be a 10-year starter in the NFL, just big, physical. He moves well enough, not great enough, but well enough to be a contributor. Of course, uh, you know, out of um, you know Wisconsin Whitewater, yep. he's just a special, special mm-hmm. guy. And some of these guys who are listed as, listed as centers, you're going to have to understand that you know your best option is going to be to play guard. There's only you know 32 jobs as a starting center in the NFL, right. whereas there's 64 jobs as guards. And there's not much difference, obviously, what you're doing. You're either pulling to the left, pulling to the right. You're just doing it from a different spot. Just going to have to get acclimated you know, within the system. But, you know, a lot of talent there. And I think, for me, the one thing is, is you start to see you know, more and more. Like, it used to be one thing with the tackles being athletic, and they just kind of got, like, used to it. But then you look at guards, where we expect everybody just to be, you know, six foot four, and the frame isn't so pretty at 320, 325. But even now, these guys test as ridiculous athletes. And with the with you know the offensive line in general here, but versatility is almost you know is just as big a factor here because of the number of injuries on an offensive line each year. So to be able to plug and play certain guys you know at various positions along that line is huge. How well can they play at all five positions? Well, exactly. I mean, because look, I mean, how many times do you see and we all sit and we'll watch a game or whatever, you know, where you know the right guard goes down. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, it's not somebody just comes in at right guard. You know, the right tackle kicks down the right guard. The left tackle moves, you know, moves to right tackle. The guy who comes in goes in to play left tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just – and a lot of it also has to do with matchups because, look, I mean, you see this and you see a lot of these players, you know, talking, you know, and even Penny Sewell, you know, and, and you see that a lot of his work is being done on the right side as well. You have no idea who's going to take you. So you have to be ready to do the assignment that they're going to take. You know, when they draft you up, well, we have a left tackle right now. You may be our left tackle in one year, maybe our left tackle in two years. We need a right tackle right now. That's what you're going to do. What are you going to do? Tell them no? No, that's not the way it works. Um, so you see players, and with all, you know, the way these work in these clinics, specifics, uh, you know, positional clinics for all of these, you know, guys, whether it's wide receivers, whether it's offensive linemen, and this is the one thing they're teaching it. And the other thing is the one way to strengthen your positive side is to work on your negative side. The more confidence you get you know, on th- doing things the other way, it's only going to strengthen the confidence you have of doing it on, because you're always going to be tentative mm-hmm. of, oh, okay, I would do it this way. But now, once you think about it and you work on the other side, it's almost second nature. There's no more thinking about the way you usually do things on your strong side. Any other final thoughts on this offensive class overall? I think this all it's this offensive class class is deep. This I think it's not very close between the offensive class and the defensive class. Um, you're talking maybe the top 10, mm-hmm. 11, 12 prospects in this draft or on the offensive side of the ball. You know, we're not going to have 
uh, a, a, a defensive end or a defensive tackle drafted in the top 10. Uh, maybe, maybe J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan Jr. sneak in the top 10. But, I mean, you're talking about realization it could be pick 10, could be pick 12, 13, before we hear the first defensive name called. That tells you a lot about the offensive side of the ball in this class. It sure does, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, the defensive class here a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, so, so stay tight, Jeff, and we'll talk soon, okay? All the best, Nathan. All right. Thank you, Jeff. That is Jeff Lloyd, second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Busy week for him last week, of course, with the Jadavian Clowney signing. Um, so we will have him on later in the podcast, though, uh, to talk about the defensive players. Uh, we, so, again, we started the podcast talking offense. We're going to end with defense. Sandwiched in the middle, of course, is our good friend Travis Krins, co-host of this podcast. He'll be joining me to talk about the, the Twins and their uh, – the COVID situation there and just like, it's just, it's just all, all, this kind of feels like a season that's already down the toilet for the twins. It just, I kind of get that vibe. I get that sense and hopefully I'm wrong in that. And also with SDSU being the number one seed in the SCS playoffs, I, I, I don't care. And I, I really wish I did because this is a very good SDSU team, but just feels like with this FCS spring season kind of feels like a bit of a farce. Not SDSU. SDSU's playing good, but just the overall season, just, yeah. Get that and and more thoughts as we roll on, you know, talk about all things in the sports world. And then again, wrapping it up, defensive side here, um, uh, talking about the depth and some of the players to watch for, certainly on the defensive side here. We'll bring Jeff back in to wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. But he was very great there, uh, just talking about how good this off the offensive classes, how deep it is, you know, especially at wide receiver and offensive tackle, quarterbacks there, and it's a group he he does not. Mac Jones, I mean, it just it's. I could see him going to San Francisco at three. I think it would be a mistake. I think Justin Fields is the better choice there, uh, certainly. But wow, I mean, it's just a difference of opinion with so many different people. But I I tend to agree with with Jeff here. It's like, oh, where are they? I mean, certainly regarding Fields. And as far as Mac Jones, like, ah, I, just, I just don't see it. But uh, that was great insight, great information there from Jeff. So always appreciate his time. And, again, he'll be back later on in the podcast. This podcast is available on podcast.com. Uh, search Sports Block Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at NDStack and Facebook Nathan Stack and a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. Also, uh, follow, you know, Listen to Locked on Browns podcast. Very good stuff there from Jeff Lloyd. You can follow him at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, also, Locked on Browns. Follow them on Twitter at Locked on Browns. It's a terrific podcast, and especially for any Browns fan out there, you must listen to it because great insight, great analysis, and, of course, a lot of talk last week about Jadavian Clowney. So we will continue. Again, Travis is coming up next here, and then we'll wrap up with the defensive players here. But uh, very heavy on the NFL Draft this week, next week with the mock drafts, and then uh, draft reaction the following week. So a lot of draft talk coming up here. Hope you want it because it's coming whether you like it or not, and it's fun stuff to talk about, at least for me and Jeff. Travis, too. We'll talk about that more coming up here on the Sports Block Podcast, now available on podcast.com. We are continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast. 
and he joins me every week, and I'm pleased to welcome in my good friend and co-host of the podcast, Travis Krins. Travis, how's it going? Yes, we're here, folks. We're good. ready to go. Very this good. Is, Very good. This day of marijuana that people love, apparently. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, 420 and uh, 420 of the, the... Yes, we'll have we'll carry on a little different meaning here. I think uh, later on, which we'll, we could talk about next week or something with the, the verdict of George Floyd once that gets done. What a yada, yada yada is the recording. We don't know yet. Um, a few things to get to here. And let's just start with uh, we, Jeff has been great uh, breaking down offensive players. We'll preview the defensive uh, prospects in the class later on here in the podcast. So um, NFL draft talk here aside, because we have some things to discuss. And let's just say congratulations to the South Dakota State Jackrabbits on not only winning the Dakota marker, but uh, be getting the number one overall seed in the FCS playoffs. And Krenz, I don't I hate saying this, but I don't really care because it seems like this is Nobody such cares. a farce. Like that not and not SDSU playing like they, they've played very well and it is not a farce on them beating the bison in Fargo snapping the bison's 32 game home winning streak it's very impressive Gronowski looks outstanding Pierre Strong is very strong I mean this is a very good team this is a deep team I think this is going to be a team that's going to threaten the bison here um over the next several years in terms of that supremacy like maybe we have to say like it's not just NDSU and everyone else it's going to be NDSU SDSU, and maybe everyone else will throw James Madison in there. But when when it comes to this game, I didn't watch it at all. I got some scoring updates, but I didn't even check on that until the very end. Like, it, it's great that they won, and I'm happy that they won. But this whole spring football deal I thought was stupid to begin with, and I just, you know, with all the cancellations and the fact that SDSU hadn't played in a month, it just... This whole thing has lost its luster or any luster that it had for me. I think you feel the same way, don't you? Yeah, I don't care about this at all. I mean, at least, at the very least, go to the national title game, if not win it. Probably going to play yes. North Dakota State or James Madison yep. again. Uh, beat Holy Cross, beat Jacksonville State, beat Southern Illinois. Beat Weber State. Yeah, whoever whoever it's going to be. So, and you got three home games. I think they're capping it at 25%, so... That'd be what four four thousand fans or so. Yeah, so about which, normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're I mean they wouldn't say they've drawn a couple of thousand like you know they can go to these games but, but nobody cares about these games and it's you know, been a little chilly but the weather has been fine to watch outdoor football so I mean we'll see uh, if it's capped to like four thousand or twenty five uh, percent capacity they should get a full crowd of at least four thousand people you would hope but um, yeah good win for them versus. Versus North Dakota State, it's been a while since somebody had uh, had won up there. And trounced but, them uh, the way they did. It were like run all yeah. over them. I mean, this this Gronowski, he's uh, he's something else. He can run a little bit, doesn't pass a lot, and, and if they could have somehow you know get to the final with the freshman. That'd be that'd be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I mean, Holy Cross, Holy Cross, <laughs> getting in three and zero. Congratulations, you're you're in the playoffs. Yep, three and zero. Did they you play? think there'd be like a, a minimum? Like you have to at least play like five games to get into the thing, <laughs> did but they, apparently not. Did they have to play uh, like what uh, Boston University and Colgate twice? To... Whatever Colgate's <laughs> basketball schedule was, that's what the football the schedule was for. 
Yep. Uh, for Holy Cross. Just and Missouri State gets in there five and four. They played a uh, pretty tough football schedule. They played Oklahoma, I think, and a mm-hmm. few other teams, and they get in. I'm sure a lot of people are upset that they're in at five and four. So I don't know. A lot of teams, a lot of teams pulled out. Um, but ultimately, it's going to come down to you know James Madison and DSU. I would say one of those two teams will probably win. SDSU is lucky, well, not lucky, but they're, I don't know, lucky, fortunate, whatever. They don't have to face any of the top-tier teams on that side. They don't have to face North Dakota State. They don't have to face North Dakota, their only loss of the season. They don't have to face James Madison. And I, so, yes, I think it's, it should be Frisco or Bust for the, and granted, it's a 16-team playoff this year, uh, or this you know, spring season. It's a it's a smaller field than normal. Well, when you got Missouri State yeah. in at five and four, I mean, that's really all it should be. Right. Honestly, it should be about a, a twelve or an eighteen yes. field. Yes. Yep. Because I mean, it's we're wasting our time with with teams like that. And so, I would on I would be happy. I'd be ecstatic and enthusiastic if they win a a a, a champion the championship. But it just won't mean as much to me, unfortunately, and I'm sure, and I, I think this would, I would be curious to see what the rest of Jackrabbit Nation feels like, but I think this won't mean as much if, in, like, in, unless it was, like, in the, the normal season, in the fall season, where you had this full slated schedule, where you had to, you know, a fuller playoff team or whatever, you had, or a, a playoff field, and you had to, I don't know, you know, beat the Bison in the in the playoffs, and they still might beat them in the championship game. I think that would be the ultimate uh, scenario and, and sweet uh, victory for them. It just, I want it to mean something, and it it just doesn't to me, and I hate it. I hate it because this is arguably the best chance SDSU has had to win a championship at this level. Yeah, who knows if they can do it on a full season and you've got to play, you know, 15 or 16 times, injuries and things like that take their toll. But, you know, if, if they were to win, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a, it's a legitimate national championship. Everybody had to play yep. by the same rules and some teams didn't have certain players. But uh, yep. if they were to win, that'd be great. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't mean as much if it was during the fall, but... It would be a national championship. Yep. So and they shouldn't apologize. Yeah. They shouldn't apologize if they win it. Absolutely yep. not. Um, I mean, every, every, everybody's playing. If you don't want to play, then you know uh, we've seen teams like Youngstown State, and you say, "All right, we're done." Or Western Illinois say, "All right, we're, we're done with the season." Like you can do that, mm-hmm. and uh, if you want to continue, you can. And uh, the teams that are national title contenders, they're going to keep on playing. Yep. So uh, and so it's, the good teams are going to be there, and you're going to have to. Beat some good teams to get to the to the title game. You sure will. And like I said, fortunately for SDSU, all of, it seems like most of, of all the good rest of the teams, the rest of the good teams, are on the opposite side of the bracket. And it should be it should be said too that FCS kind of came together or you know whatnot and said, yeah, let's do this spring season. They could have waited until fall. A reasonable thing to do. It's the thing that I thought they should do because it, it like the the amount of time that they have now for their bodies to heal just doesn't it doesn't mesh. It doesn't make sense. Um, and but they all wanted to do this apparently. Indiana State backed out before the season began, so they didn't want to. That's fine. I don't know how many other teams at the FCS level did. 
And then you just see the some of these other teams here dropping like flies. You mentioned Youngstown State, Western Illinois. Uh, and it's like, well, why? I, I just, the, the commitment level there to me is frustrating because if you wanted this to, to happen during the spring season, you need to see it through unless there's widespread or rampant uh, COVID cases across your team and across your campus. But that was a known risk going in, and you still said, yeah, let's try and do it. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why some of these schools just petered out. I mean, I don't know why. SCSU's got to be losing a lot of money just having a football season based on they haven't had to go many places. And, you know, what they went up to, uh, they went up to Fargo, that's a bus ride. They went up to Grand Forks, that's a bus drive. I think that's it, isn't it? Or did they go somewhere else, maybe one other place? Uh, let's see, Southern Illinois, maybe. Let me Southern Illinois, Youngstown State was at home, I think. So maybe they went a couple places, but they're going to be at home here, and hopefully they got to get a big trip to uh, to Texas here at the end of May. But if they win a know, championship, it doesn't matter if they lost money. It really doesn't. The, like, at the end of the day, you I, I can understand, you know, big time football, FBS playing because there's a lot of money at stake there for those big time, you know, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, everybody else. There's big time money mm-hmm. there, tens of millions of dollars. Yep. At this level, there there really is not much money at all. You're not getting your 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 half million dollar check. Unless you're playing Oklahoma or Iowa or the Gophers, so that right. didn't happen. Yep. And 2,000 people, they're showing up at your games. They're not making much of anything there. So as far as, as, far as having a season, you know, they figured it would be better during the uh, during the spring, and I suppose it is, but so so many teams, so many cancellations. Like, you know, the SEC didn't play for, play for a month. It was, it was ridiculous, and... They still played well last week without playing for a month. So, you know, they've got hopefully four more games to go and maybe, what, nine games on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Then they'll get ready for uh, for the fall. But hopefully, you know, some of those seniors, this is their last shot. I'm sure they're appreciative of having uh, a chance to, yep. to continue to play. Absolutely. And, again, I, like, so here's the road, the, the road schedule that they had this year. At Northern Iowa to begin the season – I would assume that was a bus ride. I mean, it's yeah. not—it's not far. Uh, at uh, North Dakota, so that was—that would be in Grand Forks, bus ride. Uh, home to Western Illinois, home to Youngstown State. At Southern Illinois, Southern Illinois would maybe be the only trip that they flew on, and then you take a bus ride up to to Fargo. So they only had two home games, which I guess makes it nice that they have home field advantage here throughout the playoffs. You mentioned the seniors, and yes, they absolutely deserve this. They deserve to be able to play. And do that, it just it just doesn't feel the, the the hype, the excitement, just isn't there for me because it's just spring football and it just doesn't seem like it. it I don't know. It's just you know between not having a full season, between it being the spring, all the teams, uh, you know, the games getting canceled and stuff. It just doesn't feel natural or right. Yeah, I mean all that stuff. It's Unfortunately, if they were to win it, they'd be like, "Well, yeah, but all those excuses." So that, that would be the worst. Is that there? There could like Fargo fans, USD fans, would put an asterisk by it, and you know what? It's better, better to better to win this than not win any at all. Right. You, know, you can either you can either win this national title this season and never get one at all, or you're gonna you're gonna pick this one. So if you're gonna win one, you know, may as well be this one. It's like, I mean, it, it's it's time for them to at least get there because they've been close mm-hmm. multiple times it's time for them to finally 
get to a title game, if mm-hmm. not win the whole thing. Yep. Um, that, yeah, absolutely. It would, would it be like Gonzaga winning the national championship. Yeah, it's, it's time. You, you've been there. Yep. It's been 10 years now. What, they've made the playoffs nine years in a row. It's time to get to the title game. You will be the favorite. No matter who you play these next three games, mm-hmm. you need to at least get there. If you lose to James Madison, if you lose to North Dakota State, so be it. Yep. But uh, you need to get to the national title game. Yes. Yep. Agreed. And hopefully they will. So we'll keep tabs on this here throughout the the playoffs. Here uh, again, go Jackrabbits! I'm cheering for you. I just and you feel like you know weather's going to be nice uh, middle of May. Like maybe make a trip up to Brookings and see them play you know jacksonville state in a couple yeah. weeks two of the top five teams that, that'd probably be a pretty good game and we'll see maybe, maybe we do that i don't know uh 24 point favorites the jackrabbits are against holy cross so yeah they should probably beat holy cross by a couple touchdowns <laughs> if they're saying 24 beat them by at least 30 good yeah so cover the spread yep so there's that again 16 team playoff F, uh, SDSU is the number one overall seed that's never happened before home field uh, the road to Frisco goes through Brookings South Dakota and it does for Fargo fans because you'd have to try, travel down travel down I, I-29 anyway so and on, and and really this is almost like you know it's, it's kind of like two seasons you had your first half and now you have your second half so mm-hmm. as far as resting and I mean they're gonna play games probably about three months after their final game mm-hmm. um I mean, you played, what, four or five games, five games to start the season? And now yep. hopefully you got you know, five more games at the second half of the yep. season. So it kind of worked out well as far as it sure whatever did. rest you're going to get. You're going to play five games, you're going to get three four weeks off, you're going to play five more games, you're going to get three months off. So mm-hmm. hopefully the, the wear and tear is, is not terrible. I absolutely agree. And I'll be curious to see, again, this is, goes down the line, but if, you know, whoever makes it to Frisco... You know, you've you've obviously played that slate of games. I wonder how they'll look in the fall. Will there be any um, effects? Any effects? Yes. Uh, will they be? Uh, will they be a little more injured? Will they be a little more sluggish or slow yeah. just because they're they're tired after you know if their body's not having that time to heal up? Again, three months is still a lot. Um, but you know, physical or football is a very physical sport. So we'll see how that goes. But again. Uh, Congrats to the Jacks for taking the Dakota marker, bringing it back to Brookings, bringing the Missouri Valley Conference Championship to Brookings, and being the number one overall seed in the FCS playoffs. It's great. I just wish it was in the fall because it just doesn't feel right or natural. But then again, nothing really feels right here or natural in the pandemic. Uh, Speaking of the pandemic, uh, the Minnesota Twins had a couple of games uh, postponed. Three, I believe. Uh, yes. uh, no, no, two. Two of the Angels. Their game against Oakland Monday night was postponed. It's now being a doubleheader either, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. Today. Yeah, yeah, Tuesday. Uh, okay, thank you. Um, Everything is good. They had four players test positive, and Drelton Simmons is one of them, and he chose not to take the vaccine. So you're kind of a, you know what, a stupid Too asshole. Bad. Yep. So for doing Taylor, that. Bar, I guess, wasn't positive, but a close contact. So. Sure. Um. And this, that, and there's uh, Kyle Garlick and uh, Kepler. This whole the season though, Krins feels like it's going down uh, south and down the tank real fast. It'd be, we said last week, I think you know, it'd be great to go five and two in their home stand. They went so two they and went, uh, they went two and five. Five. Inverse. So yeah, inverse. 
so that or two and four, whatever. They went, they went two and five. Yeah. Two and five. Yep. Um, not great. And then you just see them get blown out by the Angels. Uh, the bullpen really kind of screwed things up. So what is what's going on with this team? Is it Rocco Baldelli? I mean, it seems like when the pitching's good, they can't get the the necessary runs and the hits. If they're getting some offense, they're not getting the pitch. Like, what the hell's going on here? They didn't score a lot against. I mean, in the Red Sox, they scored two runs. They scored two runs. They scored one run. Last game they won. They scored four. They scored three against the Angels. So they didn't. They didn't score a lot. They're fine. Um, Boston's pretty good, I guess. Boston's better than I think I anybody figured. Yep. Seattle's pretty good at least early right now. So the schedule, which looked pretty easy to begin the year, uh, maybe not as easy. So that may have something to do with it. Angels playing pretty well. Oakland really hot right now. After starting 0-5, 0-6, whatever it was. So they're playing good teams right now. They've got Pittsburgh this weekend, so they might want to beat Pittsburgh. Might want to sweep them at home. Well, the Padres couldn't even. I think they won, what, one of three? Granted, it was a road series. But it's, I mean, it's, again, we're 14 games into 162 game schedule. I know. Where are they at in relation to the White Sox? They're a half game behind. The White Sox not lighting the world on fire. They're eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleveland's eight and seven. Kansas City's nine and six. So, you know, there's five playoff spots. If you win 85 games, you'll probably be in the playoffs. And this team's a really good team. I have no. You know, bullpen gave up a couple. Buxton just does not play as a hamstring thing. He'll be back tonight. Josh Donaldson comes back, and then there's three days off. So, yeah, if you can get everybody out there, you get Buxton and Donaldson out there, the offense should be pretty good. And, you know, at least the starting pitching, I mean, the bullpen has been up and down, but you can't say much about the starters. They've been as good as you could possibly hope for. Yep. So a lot of close losses again, six and eight. They could easily be nine and five. Yep. A lot of one-run games, a lot of the extra inning. They lost another one against Seattle. They owned four in extra inning games. So Seattle, by the way, really, is beating the Dodgers what twice now? I mean, good for them. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of games to go. I'm not concerned. They're half game behind Chicago. They're six and eight. It's is it it. it are you questioning anything that Baldelli does, though? Because, again, I it, it sucks for me because I don't have Valley Sports uh, here because, you know, they're being assholes with Dish and a bunch of whole other, like, uh, providers and streaming services. So I am unable to watch the games, but I try and follow along as best I can. And it just is Bald, – what is Baldelli doing? Are you, are you satisfied with some of the things he's doing, or is he costing this team already? Drew Amon hates that he rests guys so much, but I'm more upset that these guys need the rest because they obviously get hurt. Josh Donaldson is very old. Byron Buxton is very brittle. Uh, Buxton's having, you no, know, he's only played like half the games. He's having a hell of a start, but he's only played half the games. And the Twins played in the playoffs last year without either of those guys, so if they have to rest here in April and May and June, so they're available in October then so be it yep. because it's just a matter of time before one of these two guys, if not both of them, get hurt again and miss a significant part of the season. So if you can prevent that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have problems with how he uses the bullpen. He doesn't use his best guys. 
Like, you, it feels like you know when he, okay. It's not that he doesn't want to win, but it feels like who he brings out of the bullpen. Just doesn't make like, sense. It's like, oh, do we want to win this game or not? Well, the first guy out of the bullpen is Randy Dobnak. Apparently, we don't want to win. Uh, uh, Dobnak has been terrible this year. He gets the, the contract extension, and he's 0-3, and he just looks garbage. Hot garbage. Yeah, I mean, there's really no reason to sign him to what, a four- or five-year deal for $10 million, $8, 9000000 million. Like, why? Why? A guy that, why? I don't know. So, you know, Rodgers, Colome, Robles, those are your top three guys. Colome sucks. Duffy as well. You put those three guys out there, you feel okay, you feel like, all right, this is, these are our best guys, we're going to get through it here. But uh, when you're bringing in guys like Cody Stashek as your first guy out, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just really demoralizing for me. It's like, you know, it's like a one-run game. They're down four to three. They're down three to two in the sixth, seventh inning, and they bring in some other guy that's not one of their top three or four. So mm-hmm. that's disappointing to me. That once that bullpen door opens and it's not one of your top three or four guys, you're like, oh, I guess we're <laughs> is losing, that... and I guess we're not probably gonna shut these guys out the rest of the way. So I don't know why he doesn't use his main guys more often. That's uh, is that, that analytics is... or is that just him like feeling the game? Because you know, so much of this of baseball and you know, I guess the world or you know, sports in general is now following analytics. And it's losing that that feel to the game, like you're making decisions or as the game goes on, not based on the numbers or anything, but just like your gut and your feel, or you know, you're looking at who are your best guys. Is he not using his best guys due to the analytics? I think he uses one set of pitchers when they're ahead and one set of pitchers when they're behind. If they're ahead in the sixth or seventh, they're going to use Taylor Rogers and Alex Colomay and mm-hmm. Hansel Robles and Tyler Duffy. If they're behind in the sixth or seventh inning, in comes Rodney Dobnak and uh, anybody else. So if, if they're ahead, they're going to use their main guys to pr- preserve the lead. Mm-hmm. If they're behind, he's not saying this, but to me he's saying, well, let's not use our best guys because we're already behind. What are the chances we're going to come back? Even on the Twins, of, I think they, yeah, it's, it's been every game except the Angels game or last game and the one game against Boston. They lost 7-1. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been 12 of the 14 games they've either had the lead or been tied in the eighth inning or later in every game except two. Oh, so, yeah, that's, that's I mean, honestly, you could honestly be 14 or 12 and two at this point. Yes. Yeah, certainly. So, yep. And I, so like, you know, I like Baldelli. I like what he's done the first two years, except, you know, I mean, just makes terrible decisions in the postseason. And almost it, for me, it kind of seems like it, that's kind of carrying over to this season. If they make the playoffs and he makes the, the same mistake he's made the last three playoffs, then for me, you got to get rid of him. They're yep. not going to because he's had a lot of success, but what's the point of winning 90, 95 games and you get to the playoffs and you're not using your guys? Their bullpen's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens here, but that's what I've been frustrated with. Um, who those main guys, who those first guys are out of the bullpen. You can't pitch them every day, but maybe pinch them once in a while because we got through this Boston series without – some of the remain bullpen guys. We got to the fourth game of that series, or the fourth day of that series. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy hasn't pitched in four days because they haven't won in four days. Like, you can pitch a guy in a close game when you're behind. Yes. If, if you're down a run in the seventh inning, it's okay to bring in one of your top relievers to keep it a one-run game, and hopefully you can maybe tie the game or take the lead 
late. So well, maybe, that's what I've been frustrated with. Yeah, if you're not going to bring him in, then you probably don't need to be paying them a whole lot of money. Yeah. So. They can come in when you are behind. It's fine. You can bring in a good reliever in when you do not have the lead. Looking at the standings, there is a lot of, I would say, I don't know, mediocrity isn't the right word, but a lot of just average teams, teams fighting, you know, to be around 500 through three weeks, which I guess shouldn't be all that surprising. But, I mean, there's really been no one dominant team apart from the Dodgers, saying their last two games when, you know, that they've lost, they were 13-2. and two before this uh, deal with Seattle, and Seattle is very surprising. Uh, Kansas City, I would say, is surprising. Boston, as you mentioned, certainly surprising. Uh, the Yankees, a terrible 5-10. and 10. They have The guys can't even hit 200 there. This, I, I mean, are you surprised by what, just what has happened thus far this season? Granted, it's three weeks old. It's, yeah, it's in it's, infancy. Yeah. But is anything really surprising you just with how um, – Again, there aren't a lot of – just the records are very, very similar and close, and that's not something I expected, I guess, this season. Like, I mean, it's just – I mean, with our baseball picks every week, you pick a team. I think I picked the Dodgers this week, and they've mm-hmm. lost the game already. And, you, you, like, the Astros, I think, were swept or lost two out of three to Detroit. So it's like <laughs> baseball, it's like you can't – like the day-to-day of baseball, it's like, well, yeah, Houston was going to beat Detroit, but – it just didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Yankees, are they going to get better? Probably. Their starting pitching is not very good. Like, I'm not seeing, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, Kansas City, they're going to win the division. It's like, right. no, too early for that. Seattle, yeah. they're going to win the division. Like, no, I don't think that either. Right. So, again, like, I feel like June 1st is a good standing point. If we're about 60 games in, all right, if you're, if, you know, if, if Kansas City and Seattle or Boston are still in first place or around there on June 1st, then you're like, all right, you can maybe take them a little bit seriously. And if the Twins are 10 games back of Chicago, 60 games in, you're like, well, that's that's not very good. No, I, I remember didn't... two years ago when the Twins were, they had like a 10-game lead versus Cleveland, and Cleveland, like in August, took a half-game lead, and people were freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like, there's they're still 40 games left. Yep. Twins won the next day, and they... And they held the division lead for the rest of the of the year. Yep. They won by like eight games. They made the playoffs easily, and they were swept by the Yankees. So even in August, when there's still 40 games left, it's like it's just, there's still 40 games left. So yep. it's I mean baseball's uh you got to take big chunks. And yeah, right now yep. there's some surprising teams, but yeah, there's not much to I don't think read into. It's just really weird seeing like Cincinnati at nine and six, Milwaukee nine and seven, St. Louis eight and eight, Pittsburgh seven and nine, Chicago uh, the, the Cubs six and nine in the East, uh, like the Phillies eight and eight, the Marlins seven and eight, the 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 Braves seven and nine. It's just it's weird to see all of these teams with these very similar, almost identical records. It just I would have expected again. It's it's been the Dodgers and pretty much everyone else is just kind of lagging behind though. Seattle and Boston certainly look uh, good. The Mets are seven and four for whatever that's worth, and heck, even the Giants ten and six. So that's good. I mean, the only teams in the American League. There's 15 teams in the American League. Mm-hmm. Detroit and New York are the only two teams that are more than two games under 500. Yeah, it's... I mean, every, even the Twins at six and eight. Yep. Um, you know, they've got the what the the third worst record in the American League. It's like it's. It's just, it's just really it's really tough to every team's gonna have a four or five game winning streak and a losing streak. It's just 
early on in the season, so so maybe it sticks out. If you were to look at a 15-game stretch in the middle of July, it might look similar to this, and you may not notice it because, you know, in the middle of July, you look at Kansas City, if they go 9-6 and six, and Chicago's 8-9, and nine, that's only a two-game difference. So mm-hmm. Kansas City would only be 10 games back instead of 12 games back. And you say, well, when you look at it, you're like, well, three weeks ago they were 12 games back, and now they're 10 games back. They haven't uh, given up much ground. But here you look at it, and they're leading the division. But, yeah, it's just – you look at the standings, it's just way too early. Like Washington, sure. I don't like yep. Washington at all. They're not any good. And yet we picked them to go to the playoffs. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bad. Some of those teams are like the Mets. I don't know why people like the Mets. Um, they can't score. I mean, Jacob DeGrom is going to win the Cy Young, but mm-hmm. I mean, they just can't score. Uh, Angels are doing decent, 8-6. and six. So, you know, long, long way to go. Obviously, the Dodgers, Dodgers are the best team. Padres are probably number two. That was a good series. Good series uh, this past weekend. Yep. What do you What do you take away from the Dodgers sweeping the Padres? I mean, again, if you know what Fernando Tatis was just getting back into the lineup and stuff, so I don't think the Padres are quite to that that level where we think they can be this season. But what are you? What was your takeaway from the that sweep? Dodgers are Padres won on Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry. Padres. Yep, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I mean, these Not these bad. games were all toss up games. The one game what was eleven to six. It went. 12 innings, yep. so nobody could score in the 10th or the 11th, so that's a 50-50 game. The next night, it's a, a, a 2 nothing game, pitcher's duel uh, between you, Darvish, and Kershaw, and those two guys are on the mound, and you expect a 2 to nothing game, so that was that was good, and then on Sunday, you had the Padres 5-2, uh, to they got three runs, come from behind, three runs in the eighth inning. So, very exciting series. These teams mm-hmm. don't care for each other. So, yep. yeah, they're, they're going to play a lot. And it's probably been since probably Yankees and Red Sox were hot that we've had a, had a, had a thing like this where people actually care about some sort of a regular season series between two teams when the Yankees and Red Sox are the best two in baseball. And that's mm-hmm. what we've got here. Padres and, and Dodgers are probably the best two teams in baseball, most talented teams. And, yep. Yeah, three three games that you know, the eighth inning, the game was tied in the eighth inning. Almost all these games. What do you? Uh, it, it seems like it's a bad decision for ESPN to not put Dodgers Padres in the Sunday night baseball lineup and instead put Braves Cubs. Like you know that Dodgers and Padres are probably like it's the it's the rivalry that people want to watch this season in baseball. So. Kind of like, you know, with Red Sox-Yankees, you got to put them on national television whenever you can. You know, Sunday Night Baseball and Fox, you know, in the afternoon. This is this is it this year. It's Dodgers and the Padres. Everyone wants to see it. So why ESPN made the decision to go Braves-Cubs baffles me. They're playing next. They're playing this weekend again. And it will be on ESPN this Sunday. Well, that's good. So, I mean, so that's, it's good, so but so I mean, they Sunday, play Yankees-Red Sox, Yankees, uh, Sox every Sunday game that they have. That goes on ESPN, so why why not Dodgers-Padres? They play in June in the beginning of the week, so you can't have that. Uh, another one in the middle of the week. Another one, uh, I think they have to schedule up for next 
for the second half, they play in early September, and then they play the second to last week of the season. So they've got one more opportunity to put them on Sunday Night Baseball. So the uh, the six series they play, three of them would be on the weekend. Uh, this weekend they'll be on there, and I know Braves, Cubs, two bigger name teams, and you know mm-hmm. they, they don't play very often. So well, yeah, you get a a matchup that doesn't have to happen often, and well, they got Padres, Dodgers this weekend. Who knows what the what the restrictions are on how many times you can be on well, ESPN or Fox or whatever those sure. are. So well, spread them out, I guess. I mean, you, they do it all. The, it seems like they just go out of their way to put Yankees, Red Sox on, and no one really cares. Yeah. That's not a, that hasn't been a rivalry really outside yeah. of those two cities. It's not. A, it's it, they haven't been good at the same time here no. over the last few years. This is a chance now with two teams, the Dodgers and the Padres. Two teams buying for the the NL West, uh, two really good teams. Put them on national television whenever you can. You want to grow and, the game. You've got, you got like you know Cubs Cardinals. I don't care. I'm sure you don't care about Cubs Cardinals. Yep. Not when they're it's terrible. Like, yeah, and then it's like it's like the Packers Bears. I don't care that they've been around since 1921. I don't care about the Packers and the Bears. I just don't. Right. Like I don't. I don't even care about the Vikings and the Bears. I could. Well, I mean, I care much more about the Packers. Packers-Vikings is a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Bears-Vikings, I don't give a shit about the Bears. Yeah, I don't the Bears that are, a The Bears are a nuisance. It's like, oh, yeah, we're in the same division as them. we got to play them twice. It sucks to play them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care about the Bears. Exactly. And I would so. and I would say, too, like, if you want, if baseball wants to grow the game, why don't you put these mega stars that you have, like Fernando Tatis with the Padres, and you know, uh, you know Trevor Bauer. Yeah, Trevor Bauer. You know, he's well, he's not young. I mean, he's certainly a star he's in the a name. Man. He's a character. You want those guys showcased in the national spotlight. So that's why it's sort of baffling that you. And yeah, I get it. Freddie Freeman's very good for the Braves, and and the Cubs are a big media market. They have Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, whatever. But the the stars of the game. Are in Southern California right now. Put them on. Put them on TV. Who's your hitter and pitcher for the week? Oh shit! We want uh, no name hitters, no name pitchers. Is that the yes? Yep. Is that the uh, the deal here? Mm-hmm. Oh, let me take a peek here. Who? Uh, Joe Musgrove. He didn't have a no hitter. Um, yep. I think we had last... him last week. Because he didn't have a no-hitter last week, but he did have, what, 13 strikeouts. All right, put him on again? Yep. Well, I don't put him on again, but he just, you know, he had a he had a no-hitter. Uh, he pitched the second game, obviously didn't have another no-hitter. Mm-hmm. But then um, pitched, uh, pitched well last night. How about Corbin Burns? Do you know who Corbin Burns is? I do not. Please enlighten me. Corbin Burns is the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh. He's had an excellent start to the year stacking. Uh, he's not given up a run yet, which is good. He's uh, pitched uh, three games. He's thrown 18 innings. How many strikeouts? Strikeouts to walk, Zach, and what do you think? Ooh. Three starts, 18 in the third innings for Corbin Burns. He played the Twins when him and Barrios had those dueling no-hitters mm. the first uh, weekend of the season. Corbin Burns, strikeout to walk ratio. I would say 8-1. to one. Thirty to one or thirty to zero, stack. Oh, thirty to zero. No. <laughs> he has thirty strikeouts. He has yet to walk a guy. Good for him. 
Good for Let's him. Let's go with Corbin Burns. All right. Oh, we mentioned this uh, Herman Mercedes character for the White Sox. So was it Jared Walsh last week for the Angels, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um... This guy's a prospect of some note. Have you heard of Jazz Chisholm? Um, I feel like I have. Yes. Um, he doesn't. He's not in the Rays, is he? No. No. Um, Miami. He's with Miami. Okay. Uh, he's doing pretty well, hitting uh, three twenty-five. So he's got uh, three home runs. He's a prospect of note, so it's not like he's a unknown guy like those other two. But uh, good to see a highly ranked prospect come up and be productive. So that would be my hitter, Jazz Chisholm. Did he come up in the playoff series last year? Because that name does sound familiar. I don't. Maybe. I don't. Let's okay. see. He's only he's 23 years old. Let's see what he was. He up last year. Yeah, he was up last year for 21 games. Did not play well. Only at 161. So he did play. He did not. Nope. Yeah, he was. He played in one of the playoff games against the Braves. So, well, don't go on a boat, game, Mr. Chisholm. So. Don't go on a boat uh, at night. No, don't go boat. Don't sniff cocaine. So yep. don't do that. Don't kill yourself. No. But he's had a good start to the season. So. Yep. Yep. Indeed. Well, very good. Any other baseball notes that we need to get to? No, it should be, you know, baseball's rolling on. Mm-hmm. I got, uh, got the fantasy teams. I got the uh, my one league. Yep, the guillotine the, league. Uh, the guillotine league. We've kind of gone through a couple weeks here where it hasn't really counted. Okay. And uh, this is the first week where it counts, so it goes until next Thursday or Friday, I think. Okay. So, so I'm kind of in the middle of the pack, feeling good where I'm at. So good. should not be uh, in danger of getting cut here, hopefully, and not. Uh, First few weeks, but one guy had like uh, Lucas Giolito with the White Sox, and he blew up against the Red Sox. He gave up six runs in the first inning the other night. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he got out of the first. So that's all it takes. Something like that happens to you, and you're like, "Well, that's you know, <laughs> my ten negative ten points right there. That's tough to climb out of." So we mm-hmm. will see what happens, but yeah, that's been. This is when it kind of kind of starts this week. So. Okay, yeah, the first couple of weeks, maybe just to show you how it goes, kind of how the scoring goes, yep. and like uh, what I don't like about it is that you can't change your lineup every day; you can only change it once a week. Okay, so it's on Sunday, and the waiver wires you can only do those once a week on Saturday night, Sunday morning is when those go through. So we've got twenty guys, we've got six for five, six bench guys. So I had Buxton on my on my bench. And I didn't get a chance to play him. Now this week, I'm like, do I play him? Is he going to play? Are the Twins going to play? I think he's in the lineup, I think. Mm-hmm. But that sucks that you can't change it every day. So that's the one the one thing I don't like about it. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, I still hate the seven-inning doubleheaders, but I hate the runner on second and extra innings more. Yeah. Um, that's, a, I guess, a question I have is if – in a double header, if it went past seven innings, would the runner go on second at the eighth inning? Eighth inning, I or would they so. do it for ten? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Do yeah. We, and what do we expect from the Twins then coming out of this COVID? Um, I mean, it's a very brief hiatus, but um, what do we expect from them? Like any ramif- not ramifications, but are they good? They're going to be a little sluggish. I mean, okay. Fieldball was one of them. You know, he's not. One of the guys are going to put a pressure situation right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Garlick, who's a backup outfielder. Max Kepler, within the guy, significant. You know, Luis Arise has been killing it. He's been great. It's just about getting those those other guys back in the lineup. Donaldson, I'd, Christ, I'd like to see him play together for once. They they played two innings in Milwaukee. And they haven't played together since. Yep. So Bucks and Donaldson just get those guys. Nelson Cruz, he's been killing it. So yep. yeah, I mean it, it didn't affect any star. Kepler was their best player, and they called up Brett Rooker and some other guys to fill in for a while. But yeah, it didn't take take away you know anybody significant. I don't think. Okay, well, come on, Twins, let's turn it around here. I mean, the the A's did. They were zero and six, and now have won, you know won nine of their last ten headed into that the series with the Twins. So. It, it's high time, Twins. Let, let's go. Let's get the season Well, you going. had, I think it was last week against Boston, the, the doubleheader. You had your two best pitchers, and Maeda and Barrios pitched the doubleheader, and you lost both of them. Yeah. And you've got the same situation tonight. They've got them. Or you got to Matt Shoemaker starting game one, Barrios starting game two, Maeda starting game three. So your two best pitchers are going to win, win two of those games. Yep. Yep. Have to. Have to. And hopefully they will. Uh, let's see. That's the baseball that we did. That we talked about the FCS. Talk soccer. Oh yes, yeah, the Super League. The Super because we don't. Okay, let's just get out of the way. We don't need to talk about NBA basketball. We don't need to talk about the National Hockey League though. Um, I'm gonna say to Steph Curry. He's uh, yeah. That's that shot that he had against Boston. Unreal with the left hand. Unreal. He's had the last eight days. He's had four games of. 40 points and 10 rebounds. That's amazing. Or, uh, or 40 points and 10, 10 threes. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Like that's, that's more than anybody has ever had in the history of basketball, I and believe, the is the set. He could have been a Minnesota Timberwolf. Twice. Yeah, maybe pick him. So he's putting together one of his best stretches. And yeah, he's, you know, 40, 50 points a night. 10 threes. He's, yeah. He's got he has more ten three pointer games this month than anybody who's had more careers ever. Like that's just insane. It doesn't doesn't seem it's like it's right, but but it is. But it's what things in the first week or month that nobody's done in that career. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, let's talk soccer here. Cause there's a Super League that's trying to form. However... I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so sense. either because one of the teams that you would want in the Super League, Chelsea, pulled out. They don't, they don't, what, what's your wife have to do with any of this? That's Kelsey, not Chelsea. Oh, <laughs> oh very good, very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Chelsea is not going to, to participate in this Super League, well... Why would you know a team like Man you just what what are your thoughts on this? Seems like crazy. I mean, I can't even keep all of the these different leagues and you know divisions that like the Champions League, UEFA, what the hell? I mean, just I can't keep it straight. But the Super League, I mean, it's kind of got people saying, "Well, what what would happen if the NFL did this or the NBA or Major League Baseball?" Like it it's fascinating to it. It it really is. I don't know a lot about soccer. We don't know a lot about soccer. No, we don't. The one thing I do love about soccer is the relegation yes. and all of this. I wish it, I wish this could happen in sports. Yes. 
in this country. That's what I love about the relegation. And you've got these different leagues in the UEFA Championship League and all of this and that in the Premier League and the different the different things. That the little that I know about. So we've got what twelve teams, like the twelve top teams breaking off to start their own league of some sorts and they'll rake in the money because everybody's gonna want to watch. So it seems it's, you know, I doubt this happens, but whatever. If they want to do it, everybody's in a mess. From what I can't know about it, people don't like it. But again, I don't care. So if you want to do it, go ahead. Yeah. So I looked at it from a college football standpoint of I don't know, take 14 teams, 15, 16 teams, I guess 14 teams I came up with and said, and there's articles out there, ESPN's done it. And mm-hmm. Once this happened, everybody had to go, oh, here's my, if this were happening in college football, this is what I would do. And that's what they came up with. So if you want to talk about that aspect, I've got a yes. list of, yes. or yeah. we can go through the teams. I mean, yeah. well, let's there's about 10 of them that are pretty no doubt that, yeah, they, they have to be in this thing. Okay. And there's a couple that are, Gonna have to be in this, like Texas and Michigan and Texas A&M, which I don't like, and they're not very good or not at that level. But based on the money, some of these soccer teams, that from what I understand, they're not at that level, but they're the biggest soccer teams with the most money, so they're going to be in this thing. So that was going to be my ask, like when you so yeah, let's go through this here because I like, like you. I don't know anything about soccer, but the Super League is is intriguing. So when you made this whole thing on the college football scale or did you take historical relevance into account here or is it just how like the the good teams in college football now so like nebraska let's say like you can't you just can't i've seen nebraska on some of these lists but you just can't put them in there they have not been good or relevant in a long time this is not 1995 this is not even 2001 how, like you, you just can't so you how about can't. the u huh how about the u the the, the hurricanes miami no, like, no, you just can't. Yep. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I think we agree on that. Like, you yep. just, there's, there's too many other teams that are like, okay, you obviously got to put in Alabama and Clemson and everybody else. But it's like, like Miami, it's like, no. Like, they've been good. They're pretty good right now. They're not a national title contender. They were good from, you know, 1985 to 2003. They were pretty goddamn good for a mm-hmm. pretty good stretch there. Um, but no, but no, I mean that, and I, I even see USC. I'm like, no, no, like USC, pretty good. Um, haven't been relevant in quite some time. They're just not at that level. It's been a good 10, 12 years since they've been at that level and you put them in there fine, but I wouldn't, if, and if you need some geographical representation, I'm taking Oregon. Yes. From the, from the West Coast. Yes. I'm not taking, I'm sure it's just not taking USC. So. Yep. Nope. Okay, so let, let me get, so you have 16 teams here that you, you said you had? I came up with, I came up with 10. 10? Okay. 10, I came up with 10 and I put in four more. Okay. Can, so I came up with 14. Okay. Uh, do you want me to guess these then? Yeah. Okay. I'm almost home here, I can get the list, but most of them are pretty, I go, go through the ones that... Yep. Go through the ones that are pretty you no know, white. Yep, Alabama. About eight. Yep, yeah. like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, um, uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, the teams that are always in the playoffs. Yep. Those are the yep. teams that okay. are always there. I suppose I have to put in Notre Dame. 
Yeah, um, I mean, and, and and they're another team that's you know historical power, but they have been good. They have been yep at that national championship level. They made the playoffs a couple times, so yep. they have. If USC would have made the playoffs a couple times, I'd be like, all right, you can put them in. But uh, right. Notre Dame, they've made the playoffs a couple times. Okay, how about the uh, good beignets and the pale Bayou Bengals? Hey, great team, big you got to put in the beignets. The beignets have won a couple of them. Yep. So okay. you put in the beignets. Yes. Uh, Florida? I put in Florida. They okay. have uh, they've not been in the playoff, but they've been they've been good for, for a while. They're, they're at that next level. They've been good. So did you add Oregon, or are you saying if you needed to do geographically? If I needed to, I'd, okay. I'd be like number 14, number 13. Okay. Maybe um, not. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Kind of going... Through this, um, how many teams have I gotten so far? Six. Six. Okay, Georgia. Georgia's got to be in there. They were in a national title game a couple of years ago, and similar to Florida, they've been really, really good. And it's like, when's Georgia going to break through? Well, they broke through a couple of years ago, and yep. they're always, always in contention. Um, did you did you put Michigan in or no? Yeah, another no. I did not put them in my okay. initial ten. How about Wisconsin? I, I did put Wisconsin in as like probably my tenth team. Okay. Because like they're kind of similar to Florida and Georgia that that they're always there. Like you want to have a safe bet, you probably bet Wisconsin's going to win ten games. Whether you like it or not, they're in. And, and you know they are they're among the top ten teams in college football. Okay. More times than not. All right. Uh, thinking through here. Um... Would you pull it? Okay, that Penn State. Penn State was a extra for me, but again, yeah, they've kind of been power for a while, and they're really good. So if if Penn State's in this, I have no problem with Penn State. Okay. Uh, I, was, I guess my only only team you're missing from my top ten, mm-hmm. I guess, would be Auburn. Okay. Well, I was I was kind of getting there. I was just yep. Because they've won, and there you know, and they and they won. They haven't been great here in the last three, four years, but would you? They've won. They've won a national title, and they've been there. They've gone to another one, so they have. Well, would you would you put Florida State in? I know last year was. I would not. I would not. They're another team. So we got my top ten. Okay. I would not put Florida State. Florida State's another team that run a lot of other people's lists. I've got Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Wisconsin. Okay. And if, if we're knocking off two of those, I knock off Auburn, Wisconsin, yep. or top eight. So that, that's my ten. And mm-hmm. then after those ten, I think it gets pretty tough. you got to put in those big those big money teams that are just not at that level. So so Michigan or no? So, yeah, so Michigan, yes, Michigan. You mentioned Penn State, which is the best of all of these teams. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Texas. Yep. Uh, Texas A&M, they got a big budget. They did pretty good this year. Yep. They're another team that people put in there, so that okay. puts me at 14. At 14. Yep. So if you want 14, I've got Oregon as a 15th. If we need a 15th, we need an even number. Who I would put in after that, I don't know. I'm not putting in USC, even though people would argue they should be in there. So yeah. I don't know. Who, who, who are we missing? I don't think we're really missing anybody. Um, I, I think you... Might want you know, to consider that would be an interesting choice. Iowa State, not Iowa State. Okay. Boise State. Oh yes, yes. Well, I'm talking about a team that's always good. 
well, they're not big time anything, but you could they're also, there. But, you but could. that would never happen in this in this scenario. If we're talking about a, yep. you know, a, a league breaking away, Boise State would not be a part of that. You, you could also throw in UCF as well. Yeah, UCF, and people don't like UCLA. It's like no, UCLA yeah. hasn't been good for a long time. No, no, absolutely not. If you were to do this on the NFL side, I would think right. you, you would take eight teams, or would you do ten? Twelve. Twelve? Okay. So I'll, I'll take twelve. All right. So if we were to do twelve, like would we just do like the top ten and then two extras, or the top eight and then four extras? I'm going to say twelve, since I don't know how many how many teams are in this. Soccer league, or they're mm-hmm. taking from multiple soccer leagues. I assume to make one big one. I thought they were taking twelve. Okay, since since they're taking twelve, then let's just take twelve from the NFL. Okay, I would do uh, Kansas City for sure. I would do. Uh, you have to do Tampa Bay right now, even though they were dog shit prior to last year. But you won the Super Bowl. You need to be in that Green Bay. Got to be in there. Um. Buffalo has made the playoffs now like three of the last five years or whatever, so I think you have to put them in. So it's the four teams from the championship game last year. Um, I mean, Cleveland, I don't think you could put Cleveland in right now. Just I'm not taking Buffalo either. You're not taking Buffalo, okay. Would you no. do Pittsburgh? I guess so. I mean, they yes, model yes. Of excellence. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Dallas, Baltimore, San Francisco. Baltimore. Yes. Um, the Rams? Would you do the L.A. Rams? Probably not, unless they need a team at the end here. Seattle, you got to put Seattle in. Yep. Um, you put the Saints. You have to put the Saints in. Um, yep. And who else am I missing? I mean, the Titans. I don't know. That's a. Do you put the Vikings in? I would maybe put the Vikings. Probably. Yeah. They would be like the eleventh or twelfth team in there. Um. Colts, maybe. I mean, the, the 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 Texans as well. I mean, that's a. a uh, let's see here. Chiefs, do, do, do. Steelers, Patriots. Saints, oh, yeah, the Patriots. Said, yep, I forgot. That. I think I, I didn't mention the Patriots. So. Four, five, six, seven, eight. I've got eleven. Let's see. Who would I be missing? Do-to-do, do-to-do, do-to-do. But in the AFC, you would you, you don't have Buffalo, but you would have the Steelers, the Ravens, the Patriots. The I guess here's, here's my list. Okay. In no particular order. Okay. Uh, I put in Seattle. Yep. I put in the Vikings. Okay. I put in the Cowboys. Okay. put in the Packers. Yep. I put in the Giants. Really? Giants are, are they like Texas where it's like, they haven't been good in a long time. They've won a couple Super Bowls, and even in those years, they weren't all that good. But, uh, so the Giants are one to consider. I think San Francisco, you got to put them in. Uh, mm-hmm. The Chiefs, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Saints, the Bucks, and I guess my favorite team I did put in the Bears. Like a couple teams you're missing, like the Broncos have won a lot of Super Bowls. Uh, the Raiders are uh, kind of like a you know a Cowboys Giants type team mm-hmm. where they were good in the '70s, but 
the Ra- I mean, the Ravens. The Ravens are always good. We could probably knock out one of these teams. So knock yeah, out I don't the know, Bears. Knock out the Bears. Some sort of a mix of teams that are, you know, traditional, mm-hmm. you know, the Giants, the Packers, the Bears, that bullshit, versus teams that are always good like Baltimore or the Saints. Yep. So that would be tough. Yeah, it would. It would be fun. I, I think the Vikings would have to be in there because the Vikings, they're the best team not to win a Super Bowl, and they're yep. usually always pretty good. Yep. I mean, the fact that they were 7-9 and nine this year and that was tied, I think, for the worst record under Mike Zimmer in the last six years means yep. they're, they've been at least 500 every year but two. And that, those years they were under one game under 500. So, yeah, I think you got to put them in. Yeah, it's, it's just a... It's fascinating. I think you know it's it's easier to do it in soccer because of how many levels they have, and and also they don't have um, as many sports like notable sports in Europe as they as we do here, like you know baseball and uh, hockey and basketball and football. Soccer's making its way into the mix. I mean, those are five massive professional sports. Leagues. What do they have? Like uh, basketball, and yeah. I mean, there are some nations that do hockey. There, uh, team handball. Handball's really big, uh, but it's soccer. Soccer is the world's game, except yeah. for the U.S. Where except for us, where we have you I don't have, know technology and indoor plumbing and things like that. We have where our entertainment doesn't come from kicking a ball. We have football, throwing have and shooting football. and hitting a ball. Yes, we have football. They have. Football. Football. Uh, Chet Holmgren uh, from Minnesota from uh, Minnehaha Academy is going to Gonzaga. That's the second five-star recruit that Mark Few is getting. You kind of see this coming because of, uh, you know, Jalen Suggs' connection and stuff. He's good friends with him. So that's interesting on the college basketball note. This transfer portal I hate. I think it needs to be – It you should only be able to transfer – if one of three, like two or three scenarios happen, like, hey, the coach leaves, you should automatically be able to go. If you're a grad transfer, yep, you can you can go to another school. You shouldn't just be able to move all around the country. Um, I know we talked about this last week, but it's still, it's still a point of frustration here for me. Um, but, you know, the fact that Colin Gillespie is coming back to Villanova, that's big. Um, uh, I think Villanova's going to be good, but we'll see. Uh, anything else that we need to get to? No. Sure about Kevin the heck. Uh, NFL draft again next week. So, uh, mock draft extraordinaire. Uh, looking forward to that. Actually looking forward to the NFL draft. I don't know if I'll be watching more NFL Network or ESPN because, uh, Mike Greenberg's doing ESPN. I would watch it more for Mel Kuyper. And... But I, I just I can't do Greeny. I just can't. That's, you can't. You're a guy. He's your guy. He's though, not, he not my guy. No, he's not. He is not. He's my not guy. your guy. You, but you like his morning show. No, I hate his morning show. You like the you like the radio show. No, I hate the radio show. I don't like anything. You, you about liked it. you liked Mike and Mike. I liked Mike and Mike, and then Greeny got too big for his britches, and he kind of I don't know if he stabbed Golick in the back, so to speak. But he must be doing something within that company that makes everyone love him and thinks that all he does is pure gold. Like, he's shitting gold bricks, and they're just eating him up. I, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't get it. Like, Trey Wingo left, and Trey Wingo was their NFL host. Yes, yep. And they have not replaced him since he's left. 
Correct. Are they not? They, why, correct. I mean, would, would you not have said, all right, you are our main guy. Give it to one of the ladies, one of the ladies that hosts these shows. Yeah, Susie say, Kramer. Right, you are our main person yep. for these NFL things. Yep. I, I mean, I wouldn't have let Trey Wingo go if I were them to begin with, but... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have let Golick go either. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have changed their whole radio what? production. It's just ridiculous. They let Dan Levitard go for Christ's sake. Yeah, they did. They did. And how he, uh, he's he's a metal arc media, and he's getting his stuff going. Really they just got someone from um, uh, from Sports Illustrated to come along. So he and uh, the former uh, uh, John Skipper, former ESPN guy, have formed this new media. Uh, what they hope to be a media empire, I would imagine, and uh, good for him and good for them. I'd love to have easy access to listen to that show, but uh, yeah, it's it's weird. So ESPN has done a poor job, so I'm probably going to go more so on the NFL Network side this year. Yeah, it's, I don't know, was it Thursday night? Is this thing? Thursday night, yep, next Thursday night, and I will be doing uh, 25 sit-ups after every pick in the first round. Holy shit, that's a good way to get, get in shape to do yep. some stuff. Yep. On the, on the medicine ball with five-pound weights. Got to... There you go. Yep. That's good. So, well, I mean, we'll see. I'm sure I'll watch a little bit of it. Like, last year I was excited because there was a certain guy we wanted. Yes. There was a certain guy that we got, and we were very excited to get him, and he turned out to be goddamn great. Yes, so. he did. I really hope they go offensive tackle this year. Um, I fear that they're going to go defensive end. I mean, if... God forbid, if, like, if, if God forbid, if like Devonte Smith fell in their laps at fourteen, how would you not take him? Like you have to. Yeah. Um, so if there's you know if there's a quarterback, if God forbid one of these guys drops, sure. and it's like yep. you know what, Kirk's our guy, but three years from now he's not. So let's get a Trey Lance or whoever. Then yep. fine. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But, you know, one of these receivers. But yeah, you're looking at. Offensive line, defensive line. If Rayshon Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, felt him, uh, take him, snatch him up in a hurry. I mean, you got to go offensive line, I think. That's yeah. But we shall see. All right, my friend, you have a great rest of your week, and uh, enjoy the baseball. And we'll chat yes. next week for our mock draft special. All right, we'll be ready. We'll be ready to go. All right, very good. We'll have to do a sports lounge too sometime here too. Yeah, we should probably do that Sunday. Are you, are you open Sunday? I should be, yes. Okay, well, maybe get that going. Maybe do a, maybe do a mock draft, if not, just do a regular show. All right, very good. Very good. All right, All we'll right. see you Sunday. All right, sounds good. Talk to you later, my friend. All right, we'll see you. Travis Crins joining here on the Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time, as always. Um, good stuff there. Um, Super League, yeah. Soccer. Really, really wow. weird, but um, that's what we get. We will have more uh, NFL draft talk, though, coming up here next. Jeff Lloyd, the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast, gave us, uh, talked about, we talked about the offensive guys earlier. Now it's the defense's turn. This class is a little small, but there's one group in particular that's awfully big, and you can get good value throughout the draft. We'll get to all that next here and wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block podcast. Coming up here, uh, Jeff Lloyd, second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Talking defensive players here in the 2021 NFL Draft. That's coming up next year on the Sports Block Podcast. Now available on podcast.com. All right, continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast. Pleased to welcome back again Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns Podcast. Jeff, how are we doing? 
We're good. We're good. Uh, you know, down to single digits here. Um, you know, just trying to uh, figure out what actually is fake noise, what is real noise as we get closer and closer. Uh, you know, it's the draft kicking off here. You know, the city of Cleveland's ready to roll. They're doing, you know, the best they can with the obviously the limitations that they're going to have to work under. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it should be a good time. It should be a good party. Yes, it should. Uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it back being in a city this year. The virtual draft was fine last year, but it's it's cool to have the, the draft travel to all these cities, and Cleveland, I think, is ready to rock. Uh, we're ready to rock here on the defensive side of the ball here and looking at some of these prospects. Uh, let's just start with the defensive line and perhaps the, the, the thinnest position, perhaps, in the entire draft is the defensive tackle line. It's Christian Barmore from Alabama. And then everyone else. Uh, what do you make of this defensive tackle class? It, it's it's rough. Um, I'd say what you're looking at that's maybe good is the fact that you have, you know, if you're looking for some straight up big fellas, you know, some 330 pounders. Yeah, they have that going on for you. But if you know you need, you know, you're looking for the elite of the elite playmaking defensive tackles. This is just not the class for you. And even you know Christian Barmar, he comes with his you know hesitation. He comes with his concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably a better pass rusher than he is a run stuffer, which is fine. Um, you know, and it's just difficult from that. Then you obviously get to uh, Levi Armorzik out of you know Washington. Uh, he is lighter, but he's not the playmaker you're expecting, you know, and a lot of these defensive tackles, everybody seems to be getting in this, they all watch Aaron Donald, and mm-hmm. everybody wants to be 290, 295, uh, but not realizing that, you know, basically Aaron Donald was, you know, basically created in a lab somewhere. Yes, he was. Um, Davion <laughs> Nixon from Iowa, nice player. I, I think he's got nice get-off. Elam McNeil is one I like. Obviously, ideally, not as tall as you'd like, only six foot two for a defensive tackle. But he's got a solid anchor, you know, uh, sustains blocks very well. Um, you have a fun player like Milton Williams uh, from Louisiana Tech. I don't know what anybody truly knows what to do with him. At 6'4", 280, an elite athlete, can play inside, can play outside. Fun player. What are – what's – so, I mean – is there a lot of true value in the middle rounds here? Like, who are some of these guys that if you get them in a fourth or fifth round, you're going to consider that very good value? Or is this truly where you don't expect a lot of teams to be reaching for these defensive tackles, so they're going to kind of fall into place on the board as teams would expect? Well, you look at a player like Marvin Wilson out of Florida State. Again, we've talked about several players who were big names a few years ago as far as regards to this draft. Marvin Wilson probably would have been a top 75 player if he was in the 2020, uh, 2020 NFL draft. Went back to school. Nothing went right for him. Uh, now there's question marks all over the place, but six foot five, three oh five, can penetrate the backfield, can rush the passer a little bit, uh, you know, knows how to get his, get his hands up to disrupt passing lanes. Um, question is, is, you know, what's inside the kid? You know, uh, you know what happened last year? Uh, can he get over it? Uh, you know, a guy like Tyler, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, 6'3", you know, probably, you know, they want to say 340, probably looks a hell of a lot more like 350. But if you're looking for that anchor in the middle of a defensive line, you have a player like him. Uh, Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M is an interesting player on paper. Um, you know, looks good on film. You actually look at the stats, though. He had eight tackles, eight, eight, eight solo tackles. I mean, we're talking about a starting defensive lineman last year, so that's going to cause some hesitation. Uh, you know, there's other players as you get further on down. One that I actually I think like that'll probably go day three. Jonathan Marshall out of uh, Arkansas, six foot three, between three fifteen, three twenty. Great penetrator, knows how to get after the quarterback. Um, he is somebody, and it's difficult to put these players 
in a perspective as to where they're maybe going to go. Because if a team likes them and understands that this is, you know, maybe one or two defensive tackles that they actually like in this class, you may take them a little higher than you would just because you don't want to take the gamble later that that guy's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we talked about, you know, with Barmore, you could have Barmore selected uh, top 15, top 20, not hear another defensive tackle's name called till you know, possibly day three. Going to the defensive ends and the edge rushers now, um, I got to admit, like, I know that the Vikings are kind of pegged by a lot of team or a lot of analysts and experts to go defensive end here, like a Quiddy Pie from Michigan or maybe a Jalen Phillips from Miami. I would much rather prefer them go offensive tackle, but it seems like there is a lot of there's a lot of risk, but reward. So the ceiling's very high, but you could wind up getting uh, not what you drafted for. Uh, you know, some of these guys opting out last year and stuff. So I think there are some question marks within the defensive end and edge rusher um, class. Do you agree with that? I would say you don't have that ultimate top finished product. Um, and when you talk about, you know, we're, we're talking about the first 10 picks of this draft, you're probably not going to see a pass rusher go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the most important thing on the defensive side of the ball is getting after the passer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see nobody going that high, obviously, you know, nobody is, you know, a complete finished product. Cody Pay, really, really nice player. Michigan did him new fa- no favors by playing on the inside, uh, you know, for parts of his career. You know, still some development that that is needed. Uh, if Jalen Phillips, if there was no questions about the medicals, probably would be your number one edge in this class. Still wouldn't probably get him in the top ten. Aziz Ojolari, you really like the player, but at the end of the day, he's uh, he's a little bit south of 250. You want these edge rushers a little bit you know, bigger than that, mm-hmm. um, you know, carrying a little bit more mass than that. It doesn't mean the young man can't grow, but he is what he is now. Jason Owa, obviously an absolute freak of this group, but you talk about a guy who didn't get a sack last year. You know, That's something that's going to certainly cause some hesitation. Uh, Boogie Bash, Matt Wake Forest, really, really nice player, but you're talking about a player that'll be over 23 years old when he's drafted. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Triumph from Washington, Dane Brugler actually has him as his 32nd overall player in this class. Didn't play last year. Even when he did play at Washington, they did not always do him any favors. A lot of times they only rushed three pass rushers, which made it really difficult you know, for anybody to get any wins in that circumstances. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, out of Miami, he's just a freak, you know, all the way around. If the testing was just, you know, a little bit better, you're talking about a guy who probably would have been that top 10 pick that you're looking for. Um, but, again, another player who didn't play in 20. Uh, there was a lot of hopes for the two Pittsburgh edges this year, uh, Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the athleticism isn't there for either player, but both have great production. You may get good value in these guys, maybe somewhere in the 75 to 100 range. Just because they got great experience, they got a bunch of pass rush, uh, pass rush reps under their belts already. Could be players that can contribute right away, but just not in a starter role. Who do you, I mean? I've heard a lot of good things. Just to go back to Quiddy Pie about like he perhaps has the highest ceiling out of anyone, certainly on the defensive line, but maybe out of anyone in this draft. Do you agree with that assessment? Like, who do you think along the defensive or among these edge rushers, the the defensive ends, has this highest ceiling? Uh, that we, again, just questions regarding, you know, last year if they opted out or whatnot. Uh, who do you think has that highest ceiling out of this class? 
I think the players that you're looking for who could eventually end up playing better than where they're drafted is probably Quiddy Pay. Uh, if Aziz Ojolari can get some weight on. Uh, and then you get to, you know, Gregory Rousseau. The, bo- the body is fantastic. It's not like he tested like a terrible athlete. He tested like an average athlete. But he is also, you know, over six foot six, 265 pounds. He's got experience on the inside already. So this is something where you can work and he can, you know, do more than one thing from you, but also play the edge for you. Uh, Joe Tryon, he's got hands of stone. Um, but again, you know, you're talking about shaking the rust off here. But I would say Pei Ozolare, and I would say Russo, and I would certainly say Joe Tryon are probably have, in my opinion, the highest ceilings of this group. Oh, and I do not, I'd be remiss if I did not mention uh, Joseph Ose out of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, runs around 100 million miles an hour. Uh, there's time where he looks phenomenal. There's time where he looks really, really raw. Uh, you know, people talked about a lot about uh, you know his matchup with Jenkins from Oklahoma State. He got pushed around a little bit in that game, sure, but he also had the game-winning sack in that game. Joseph Osai, I don't know if he's going to look better standing up in a three-four edge position or putting his hand in the ground, but he is somebody that's intriguing. Uh, didn't do all of his athletic testing, uh, mm-hmm. but the production was there. The testing that he did do, uh, he tested like a, a pretty solid athlete. He's a fun name to watch, probably somewhere anywhere between that 25 and 40 range. Is that someone I think that that you would like to see Cleveland potentially get? He, he's in there, and this is actually funny because I did an episode on Monday, and talking after the Browns released Sheldon Richardson, mm-hmm. and they kept mentioning about you know, Jadavian and Kleine's you know, experience playing on the inside. Um, and the Browns are looking to go more nickel-dying defense, and so that's what you know, attracted them to Clowney. Which brought me back, and I did an episode on Monday, and I thought about how Gregory Russo still may be a prime player on their board due to his size, you know, due to the athleticism, due to the fact he has a lot of experience on the inside. And then Peter Schrager uh, puts out his second mantra after the year today, and 26 overall, he gives them Gregory Russo out of the University of Miami. So whether or not Pete's been listening or not, I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, you're looking for maybe a very good possibility that Browns can be interested in one of these you know, bigger edges with size and you know be able to you know rotate them on the inside, the outside. Also, this allows for Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, just keep mixing things up. I mean, and you have when you have players like Clowney and Garrett on the field, you have offensive linemen saying, "Well, I hope they're not standing over me this rep." And the next thing you know, they very well could be because the Browns are manipulating that position where they can just have guys basically go whatever gap they want them to. I think Schrager's is pretty plugged in. I bet he's listening. I think I think and, so. <laughs> and the funniest thing is Peter Schrager uh, from my hometown, so even more funny. Wow, very cool. Very cool. Let's move to the linebackers now. And Micah Parsons is the cream of the crop here in this uh, linebacker class, the, the linebacker out of Penn State. But I've heard, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Zaven Collins from Tulsa. Um, do you think he could be the second linebacker taken off of this board? And what is a team going to get if they draft him? Zayvon Collins is interesting. The first thing that you know makes me a little bit nervous is just the overall size. I mean, you know, six six foot three, almost six foot four, north of two fifty five. He's built like an edge. Um, he tested athletically enough to play the linebacker position. I know a lot of people. Oh, well, you can have him do edge stuff. Well, well which one is he? Because am I, am I getting just an edge or am I getting just a linebacker? Because, you know, you need to figure that out. Uh, but, yeah, Zayvon Collins certainly could be, the I would say, maybe even the first. Micah Parsons, it's not a pretty off-field for Micah Parsons. It's not. And I'm sure there's some teams that would probably say, look, we would just, I mean, when you're talking about incidents in high school, mm-hmm. and then you're talking about incidents in college as well, and then, you know, he says about his college, well, I was young, I didn't know. Well, they, well, you didn't get any smarter from the time you were in high school to the time you were in college. Right. 
So they, they're three years, and you still couldn't find a way to get your act together. Um, so, you know, Parsons is interesting. He doesn't cover as well as people think he is. So, you know, why people want to say he's, you know, even Collins is much, much better at coverage. Okay. Michael Parsons does not have the uh, the patience to be good in coverage, which makes him fantastic in the run game, mm-hmm. is what hurts him in, you know, pass coverage. He, he just goes 100 million miles an hour, and that's fantastic in run support and run defense. But you have to have more, better patience and understand it could be three seconds, it could be four seconds, hell, it could even be five seconds that you've got to maintain your coverage, otherwise you blew the play. And that's where Parsons has his deficiencies. Collins, and now what we're talking about, the way the NFL is played Mm -hmm. these days, where there's so much passing, for me, I'm going to value the coverage before I'm going to value your your run ability. Because my thinking is, is if I can get out of first and ten and it's second and nine, Michael Parsons is coming off the field. I'm looking to bring on a player onto the field like Zayvon Collins or a player like Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, depending on where you classify him, you know, Jeremiah Usu Karamoa, who's very similar to, you know, what Isaiah Simmons was, you know, last year coming out of Clemson. If you were to compare Zayvon Collins to someone in the NFL, a, a current linebacker in the NFL, who would you compare him to? Oof. Uh, it's, it's difficult because of the size, sure. at, you know, his size. Mm-hmm. Um, but coverage ability, he's able to run people down. A little similar to Patrick Willis. I mean, obviously that's a little bit on the higher end. Yep. But he does have that type of skill. But also keep in mind, he did play at Tulsa. So he's going to obviously have to take some jump in competition here. Um, you don't ever want to rush a linebacker uh, because they get lost too early. Sometimes it's hard to get him back. But, yeah, Zayvon Collins is an extremely hot name. Um, people keep trying to mock him to the Browns. I just I don't see the need for a linebacker. I don't see the Browns having a need for a linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think Zayvon Collins is a special player, a special talent. Uh, could be better in you know more in year two than he is as a rookie, uh, but at that size and the fact that if you want to say hey you know I can put him at edge on dime to rush the quarter rush the quarterback if I need to that's certainly appealing the fact that he can bring a little bit more than just playing a traditional linebacker. What are your thoughts on Jabril Cox from LSU? Uh, he transferred from North Dakota State where he was a star, won a few national championships, seemed like he had a you know pretty decent year for LSU, a struggling. Uh, it was a team that struggled much of the year, especially on defense. But Jabril Cox perhaps seemed to be one of those uh, bright spots in an otherwise dismal season. What do you think of Jabril Cox overall? I think the year at LSU helped because, you know, it, it brought, look, I mean, he would have lost the year anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously he was ahead of it. You know, got to LSU, uh, you know, got solid playing time, got into the SEC where, you know, a lot of times at North Dakota State, they were just beating the daylights at everybody week in, week out. So you weren't necessarily being, you know, tested very much. He was able to get that, you know, got some, you know, got beat at times. And that's fine. Uh, You know, I can improve if you win on every single rep. I like him. And it's odd because he's another bigger guy, too. But he is another one that uh, brings solid coverage ability. I know the Saints appear to be in love with him, obviously. You know, they got a good look at him this year. He's right in their backyard. Yep. Um, but he really had a strong year down there. And I think he fits more the modern game and what you're looking for from your linebackers as the game just trends more and more to an aerial assault. Who are some of the linebackers that are going to be good values for teams in the mid to late rounds? Cameron McGrone from Michigan, you never really got any testing numbers from him, but uh, you see a guy who can run around. He can run with tight ends. He can run with backs. Monty Rice from Georgia, again, another guy here. These are guys you're probably talking about on day three. Uh, so those two names. Um, an interesting one is Baron, Bra- uh, Baron Browning out of Ohio State. Great, great athlete. Had a strong senior bowl. But there were you know 
tape gaffes. You know, the times where he just either A, didn't do what his assignment was, or B, maybe forgot what his assignment was, which is difficult to do as a linebacker. But he is, you know, fantastic athlete. Probably, the, you know, he's right up there as far as athleticism in this class, as far as top athlete. Um, Chaz Surratt from North Carolina is a fun, fun player, but he's another one where the age threshold is not doing him any favors as he's already over 23 years old. Mm -hmm. Justin Hilliard on day three, he's an Ohio State linebacker that not many people talk about, but he tested very well. Um, He also was part of the Senior Bowl, did a nice, nice job down there, uh, you know, in Mobile as well. Um, Derek Barnes out of Purdue, he's not talked about a ton, uh, looks the part, just a big physical guy, uh, makes a ton of tackles. Uh, The athleticism is good enough. Um, Still being penciled in as a day three player, which I don't understand. Uh, I think he's one of the better linebackers in this class. But I think when the class is weak, uh, you know, kind of weak, maybe everybody kind of gets dragged down with it. But uh, him out of Purdue, solid, solid player in my opinion. Is there anyone you would stay away from or anyone that you have some reservations on? Kind of like, you know, Micah Parsons, you said you have some... Uh, you know, Mike Parsons, it's, that's the biggest one. Um, you know, and it depends again. You know, if you're talking about Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa, he's the top dog here. He fits mm-hmm. what you're looking for. He can play safety. Uh, so you could play, you know, nickel and you could play him as a safety. Then when you go to nickel, you could go to dime. You could take out your run stopping linebackers, kick him up to play linebacker, you know, in the nickel and the dime there. Special, special player. Uh, no, most of these players checked out, but I got to be honest. You know, Micah Parsons just scares the daylights out of me. Um, you know, just the incidents he's had, you know, and the fact that they continue to went on. And Penn State is still one of these schools that seems to be okay with letting things slide for the good of the program, which should not be happening, especially when Penn State's not winning national championships. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're, you know, saving the you know, saving the trophy, so to speak. Um, and then one player, Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton's a fantastic player on tape. It's gonna, it's, we're going to have to see how it translates because the athleticism did not show at all. He looks so much faster on tape than he tested. Who knows? Maybe a bad day. And he was, you know, once talked about as probably one of the best linebackers in this class. Um, the draft process didn't go very well for him. Probably a guy that could have benefited from a combine being held. Not sure how the interviews went. But here was a guy we were talking about maybe, you know, top one or two linebacker off the board before the draft process. And now maybe we're talking maybe six, seven, eight. Are we let's move to the cornerback class here and are we going to have four or more uh cornerbacks taken i think certainly four in the first round you got patrick sertan uh from alabama jc horn uh has really been uh skyrocketing up uh boards and helping his draft stock uh greg newsome from northwestern and caleb farley kind of is that that mystery just because of the back surgery and the opting out and whatnot but he seems you know like he's already coming in with a chip on his shoulder what do you make of these the, the the top cornerback prospects here, and who would you take if you had if they were all still available? For me, I think the top cornerback in this class is J.C. Horn. Um, he tested out as the best athlete. Um, he showed really really well playing in the SEC at South Carolina. Just a fun fun player. This is a great class of cornerbacks. Obviously, you have so many legacy kids here. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have you know, a player like Caleb Farley, who's a ridiculously good athlete, and it seems like everything went well in his medical recheck in Indianapolis. Patrick Sertan, the second, you know, obviously, you know, uh, and then, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. as well. Um, but, you know, Greg Newsom, like you said, with the size. I mean, you're talking with Farley, with Sertan, with Horn, with Greg Newsom. These guys are all 6'1 or bigger. You throw in a Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. He's another one north of 6'1". Uh, Asante Samuel, you know, a little bit, you know, he's smaller at five foot ten, 
but makes up for it with great physicality. Uh, he's great in his press. He's able to, you know, keep his man in front of him. He's able to get physical at the catch point. Then you talk about a player like a T2 Melifonu out of Syracuse. If you're looking for one of these cornerbacks built like Farley or Sertan or Horn or Newsom, and you're not in that position to get him, you know, early second round, a Fitu Melifonu, his brother was a safety, recently resigned with the 49ers uh, out of Syracuse. It checks every athletic box you can have, checks every physical box he can have. There are some questions at times about his physicality. Uh, and you can see it, and you wonder sometimes if it's, you know, like a savings, you know, saving yourself. But I remember there were these same concerns about Denzel Ward before he went number four overall the Cleveland Browns. And Denzel Ward's first hit in the NFL, he got nailed for targeting. So it was kind of like, all right, let's just squash that right now. I'll hit people if I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Stokes out of Georgia, we didn't even mention, and he fastest cornerback in this class. Uh, he's right up there with Kelvin Joseph, Kelvin Joseph uh, from Kentucky. Uh, then you have Elijah Molden out of Washington who can play safety, who can play nickel. I mean, this is a really, really great class. Uh, Paulson Adebo uh, here, another one of these players. We talked about players that you know, we were talking about highly 18 months ago, and then they kind of just got lost in the sauce, so to speak. Paulson Adebo is still a really, really great player. He tested really, really well out of Stanford. Um, you need a cornerback. This is definitely the year uh, where you're going to be able to find somebody. And this, you know, we've mentioned that it's a weaker defensive class. The offense is uh, kind of stealing the show. But on the defensive side, it's clear that the cornerback class is the best and deepest Absolutely. in this draft. Um, what do, Any thoughts just on Caleb Farley and that whole situation? Of course, you know, like I said, he, he had surgery on his back and – you know, he backed out, but or he opted out last year, but he seems to be a guy that, I don't know, it, like I said, has that chip on his shoulder coming in. Like, if you don't take me, you know, you're going to regret it. What do we make of Caleb Farley overall from Virginia Tech? I love the player. I love the athleticism. Now, what are you going to talk about negatives? He's already had two procedures on his back, and he's got an ACL in his history. So that does give you some concern. Um, as far as where his health is at, he's represented by Drew Rosenhaus. Um, you know, and you, you talk to a lot of people in this, and you know, basically what it comes down to is, you know, if Drew Rosenhaus speaks, listen, mm-hmm. and then delete it from your mind because you don't, you can't believe it. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's the the reason he's one of the best in the business is, is because you know, basically he can sell you the hooker with the heart of gold. Uh, that's <laughs> what he's supposed to do. That is his job. Um, yep. Caleb Farley, look, originally he was going to be what top ten, top twelve player in this class. Now you're going to start talking about maybe mid twenties. And I don't think teams, anybody's going to run away from that value. Uh, cornerbacks aren't normally built six foot two, two ten. They don't normally run four three or a little bit less. Somebody's going to take that and gamble. Look, if the medicals checked out, and that's the word out of Indianapolis that all thirty-two teams got. Uh, you know, whole go round one. You're, you've got four slam dunks in round one at the quarterback cornerback position, and with the ability to maybe get to five, six, maybe even. Seven. This is a really, really deep group, and unlike years past, you've got a, a group with good size. You know, you're talking a lot of the top guys are north of six foot, north of six foot one, which you don't normally see from a cornerback class. So, I mean, not only are they great athletes, they have the size you want. Special, special groups. And there's going to be a lot of value in the late rounds too. You're going to get a good player who might have. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll give you one right here. This yep. is probably one of my favorite corners in this class. Thomas Graham out of Oregon. He sat out this past fall. Um, he plays well. He plays well in the slot. Um, but one of the reasons I fell in, fell in love with Jairi Alexander a few years ago was he just doesn't shut up. Thomas <laughs> Graham talks and talks and talks. 
And I, I can't tell you as a former player, you know, going against it, you hate it. Yep. Playing with it, you absolutely love it because yep. it keeps everybody up, keeps the juices flowing. You beat him, he's talking. He beats you, he's talking. They don't even throw the ball to him. He, he's his guy he's covered, he's talking. He just he's got that energy, keeps everything popping, had a pretty good pro day. Thomas Graham on day three out of Oregon. It's just an absolute a guy I just really, really, really like. And I think he's just got the quarter cornerback mentality that you're looking for. Very good. That's, that's certainly a name to keep in mind. And finally, we'll we'll go to the safeties here. Uh, how would you rate the depth of the safety class? I'd say the depth is okay. It's just um, when it starts for me it is you know where I'm with that. I think Trevor Mulrig is a fantastic, fantastic player. Uh, you know, there's some shades for me of Bob Sanders. There's some shades of any of your favorite safeties in years past who were able to jump routes, you know, like Palomalo, that type of thing. Um, he's a little bit smaller than was advertised, but, you know, I mean, he was listed at 6'2", 205. There was no way in the world he was six foot two, and that's fine. Uh, Richie Grant out of UCF, he's a nice, nice player. I think that a lot of people were high, more higher on him than I am. Andre Sisco out of Syracuse possibly could be the top safety in this class. In fact, if he wasn't coming off of an ACL injury. Uh, Javon Holland, another player I really like out of Oregon. He's another one that sat out last year. Um, but, you know, he can play well against the line of scrimmage. He can cover. He can play that deep, you know, star position that you're looking for from a safety. Uh, Hamson Nasero Dean, he's another one that can kind of go into that range of uh, Jeremiah Wusu Karamawa, where, you know, he could play deep safety. He can move up at his size, maybe play some nickel and dime linebacker, just so you're maximizing your speed. Jamie Sherwood out of Auburn is another one of these guys. Six foot two, 220. He looks more like he's six foot three, 240. He carries his size well. Uh, led the SEC in solo tackles uh, from the safety position last year. Fun, fun player. Uh, Tyree Gillespie, Gillespie out of Missouri is just an athletic freak. Runs 100 million miles an hour. Uh, makes a ton of tackles. He has a lot of disruption, you know, as far as batting passes down, breaking up plays. He's another really good one. But I think the thing is that you're going to talk about is where does this run start? after Trevon Morig. And if you're talking maybe mid to a little bit later second round, I think you're going to get really, really good value there uh, if you're starting to shop for the safeties there. I've heard I've heard Morig could go as high as 10 to Dallas. I saw that in one mock draft. Does that seem a little bit of a reach there? For me, maybe it would be a bit high, but, you know, and this is the thing, and he's kind of in a similar situation with Christian Barrymore where they have no competition. Everybody knows who the top safety off the board is going to be. Yep. So the question is, how much you know? Uh, you know, how in love are you? If the Cowboys love him, maybe you take him at ten. Because guess what? You're not getting a shot the next time around. He'll go somewhere in that twenty-six to thirty-two range. I saw another mock where they actually had him with uh, going to Tampa Bay. So you can imagine that secondary of oh Winfield and Trevon Mulrig. I mean, and they're literally <laughs> like the same player. I mean, that would be a beautiful pairing if that worked out. Um, so when with these positional groups and where there's there's not a lot at the top, it, it's all I don't see any way it's going to hurt Mulrig. I don't see any way it's going to hurt Christian Barrymore because they are the top dog. So I mean, if this is what you need and this is what you have to address, it's now or now you're talking about maybe filling in that spot two rounds later. Well, hopefully, yeah. But like you said, once the run begins, whenever that might be, round mid round two or 
or three, they'll they'll go quickly because te- there are teams that are in need of safety. I can think of one that wears purple and yellow that uh, or purple and gold that might need a safety here to replace Anthony Harris. Uh, well, yes, but and also though you have these teams now, and a lot of teams that say you know we want to play three safeties. The Cleveland Browns are one of them. So if you want to play a lot of three safeties, you need more than three. Yep. You need four. Yes. You need five. So you know there is value there. Derek Forrest out of Cincinnati, he's going to go on day three. Athleticism is off the charts. He runs around 100 million miles an hour, hits everybody in sight. Why he's so low, I don't understand. Trill Williams out of Syracuse, you can look at him as a safety. You can look at him as a corner. You can look at him as a slot corner. He was part of Bruce Feldman's freak list. So now he's probably going to be the third defensive back drafted out of Syracuse behind Cisco, behind Melifon. And we're talking about the fact that he is such a great athlete. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. So it just goes to show you the type of athlete this guy is, and along with the fact that he has versatility where he's played safety, he's played slot, and he's played outside corner. That, wow, that's that's certainly impressive there. Um, overall thoughts then on this defensive class, or any additional thoughts that maybe we haven't gotten to on the defensive class as a whole? If you need a pass rusher or you need secondary help, this is a good defensive class. If you're looking for defensive tackle, you're looking for linebacker, and I'm not sure which teams really still are because, you know, as analytics grows more and more in the NFL, linebacker, running back, defensive tackle, they are not sought-after positions. They are not well-paid positions. Mm -hmm. And we're trending here where safety is now getting to 220, 225. Linebackers trying to do everything they can to keep their speed coming to 230. Um, you know, in weight to be as fast as possible, you're starting to get this blend here where there is not much difference, and you end up with players like Isaiah Simmons. You end up like with players like you know uh, JLK out of Notre Dame that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're tweeners, because this is the way the game is trending, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just verbiage. Are you calling him a linebacker? Are you calling him a safety? Um, but in all actuality, they're doing both. Very good. Well, Jeff, I appreciate the time as always. Uh, hopefully we can uh, get together next week to do a mock draft uh, and stuff, and then it's it's here. It's right on our doorstep, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But I always appreciate the time, sir. Uh, good luck with the rest of the week. No problem at all, Nathan. Always a pleasure. And, yeah, we'll find some time next week. You know that. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff Lloyd the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Again, I plugged it earlier. You've got to listen to this podcast, especially if you're a Browns fan. He and he is so plugged in with the draft. He knows he all these different prospects and stuff. He's great. Just like Sponge, just absorbing the information and the analysis that he can provide, and it's great, great stuff. So uh, yeah, we'll get him on next week. We'll do our annual mock draft with him. We'll do a mock draft with Travis. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I would, I would again, I would put the NFL mock draft as probably our second best show, only behind the March Madness bracket breakdown um, that Travis and I do. Uh, so you have your two best podcasts kind of sandwiched here in the span of a, a month and a half or so. So that's great news there. But always appreciate Jeff's time. Um, Appreciate you listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Like I said, a lot of NFL draft talk. There's going to be a lot more next week. It's going to be all NFL draft. I'm sorry, we're not going to. Maybe uh, we'll, we'll talk baseball for like five minutes or so, but it's all draft next week, and then we're recapping the draft the following week. So it's a lot of excitement here regarding the NFL draft, as always. So looking forward to that. Uh, as always, thank you to Travis for joining me as well and providing some, uh, giving me some laughs along the way. It's, it's much appreciated here. Um, but 
We have, like I said, a lot to get to here. Go Jacks, Jackrabbits, number one seed in the FCS playoffs, taking on Holy Cross. It it just feels weird. It it feels weird, and it just, honestly, it doesn't feel right. Not that the Jackrabbits aren't, like, you know, saying that they're the number one seed doesn't feel right. That feels right. That feels great. It's just the spring football. It's just weird. It's just weird. But hopefully they they take apart the Crusaders of Holy Cross and move on to... um, would it be the quarterfinals? Yes, the quarterfinals then. There are only 16 teams in the FCS playoffs this year. So there's that. Uh, hopefully the Twins can bounce back, but I just kind of feel like this season's already headed south. But as always, thank you to Jeff and Travis for joining me. Again, uh, you can follow me. You can find this podcast available on podcast.com. Follow me on Twitter at NDStacken. Facebook, Nathan Stacken. Travis Crins at Travis Crins. Jeff Lloyd at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. And Follow Locked On Browns podcast at Locked On Browns. Plenty of good information out there. Uh, look at look at you know. There's a lot of mock drafts out there. I some of these mock drafts are just completely bonkers and wacko. Um, but you're gonna start to see you know like the Pro Football Focus, you know the ESPN's with Mel Kiper and stuff. We're gonna do a mock draft next week. We can't guarantee it's gonna be even close to right, but it's how we think it's gonna go, and we're looking forward to it. So for Jeff and Travis, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Um, you know, we're recording this right now. We don't know what's uh, what has happened with the Derek Chauvin trial. We will probably touch base on it. We might touch base on that next week or the following week, um, whatever happens there. So uh, with a few thoughts, but we'll try and uh, we'll save that for another time. But as of the recording of this podcast, nothing has happened yet with the, um, in terms of a verdict. So again, for Travis, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of, and Jeff, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't forget Jeff. For Jeff, And Travis, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. A very happy birthday, by the way, to my wife, Kelsey. Um, Happy birthday, hon. Hope you have a great day. So, it's on Wednesday. So, for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Mock draft, mock NFL draft special coming up next week on Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.